Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, how was that for a weekend of NCAA basketball? Putting the madness into March. So many upsets. The lower seats coming through. The little name schools. They don't have the big football money. And they're winning anyway. We don't quite have the Sweet 16 set. Unusual format this year. I think I like it a little better. I think I'd rather have a, a Saturday through Tuesday tournament. Get the, the, the games, the matchups for that week where there are the most games on the weekend, where the most people can see them. Why not? So, BYU and Utah State are out. That didn't take long, did it? I think the teams are losing. There's a couple reasons you lose. One, mentally, you're not quite tough enough. You don't expect to win. You hope to win. And two, can't shoot it. There it is. <laughs> Those are the two reasons most teams go down. The willpower and the shooting. You know, no matter how mentally tough you are, what really matters is you're mentally tougher than the other guy. Do you really expect to win? Will you really push through? Oral Roberts could have just folded, and they didn't. They fought back. You know, Florida, big-name school, all the money, all the hype, all the recruits, all that kind of stuff. You know, the recruiting thing in basketball really gets offset because so many of the power schools are losing kids after their freshman and sophomore years. And they're not playing their juniors and seniors because they've recruited the next young, big young thing, and he's got to play. And, you know, the get old, stay old, it's the equalizer. And I I think we're seeing this. Unfortunately, it didn't happen for any of the teams that I have any relationship with whatsoever. You know, my dad's alma mater, San Diego State, went out in the first round. My alma mater, UCSB, went out in the first round. My son's alma mater, Georgetown, went out in the first round. The local teams here, BYU and Utah State, went out in the first round. Moral of the story, I'm the cooler, baby. Have you seen that movie with William H. Macy? I tweeted about it yesterday. Casinos employing him, he would sit down next to people who were on a roll, and they would, uh, and they'd automatically start losing. Hilarious concept. Anyway, for BYU, what went wrong? How did it go wrong? What happened? Mark Pope, as beaten down and as low energy as I think I've ever seen him in front of a camera and a microphone. And I think it's because you just put so much into it, and you have such high hopes, but they just couldn't shoot the three. Three of seventeen is a spectacularly. A spectacularly bad day shooting. And as Jerry Sloan once said when somebody asked me about Carl, Carl Malone not scoring, you know, is he trying? He's like, listen, nobody tries to miss baskets, okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're a kid shooting by yourself or if you're in the NBA playoffs or high school game, a rec league game, a church ball game, the NCAA tournament, you're not trying to miss shots. But they would not go in no matter how hard BYU tried. 3 of 17. You make a few of those, you change momentum. Obviously, you got a few more points. But it didn't happen, and BYU is one and done again. They haven't been to the round of 32 since they had Jimmer, and that's the only two times they've been to the round of 32 in the last 25 years. So, high hopes. And, and the thing is, when you rely on the transfer portal as much as Mark Pope does, you know, Harms is gone. Uh, he said that afterwards. Barcelo. You know, as a senior, and, and guys can come back, but, you know, a lot of basketball players have a chance to play overseas and make money, and, and so they tend to go. We'll, we'll see how it plays out, but, uh, you know, they, they put so much of themselves into it. Here's Mark Pope, and, and you'll hear the low energy. Here he is right after the game. Mark, wanted to ask you just about the shooting, 3 of 17 from beyond the arc. Do you feel like you guys got good looks and just didn't make them? What would you make of the shooting? Um, yeah, uh, you know, clearly we, we didn't shoot the ball well from the three point line or the free throw line. Um, you know, credit UCLA for that, uh, putting pressure on us and, 
um, they had us on our heels, um, you know, for so, some substantial part of the first half. And, uh, and, and, you know, it happens sometimes. We, you know, we've been able to overcome nights like that before this season. Uh, we just we just couldn't overcome it tonight. And so, so we'll, we'll get we'll get better. But there's a, you know, um, there's going to be nights on occasion where you, you don't shoot the ball well. And we, you know, we have answers. We can still win games. We just we just didn't didn't get it done tonight. As a reminder to our attendees, please use the raise hand function. Our next question comes from Mitch Harper. Mitch, your line is open. Yeah, Mark, uh, how, how big of a setback was it for your team to cut the deficit to four and then at the next stoppage find you silly back up double digits? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I was really proud of my guys in the second half. Uh, they, kept, they kept fighting. And uh, kept kept trying to chip away, and that's the that's this that's this locker room. It's what they've been all year. Um, and in some crucial moments, we just couldn't come up with stops. Um, you know, Johnny was a, a handful tonight, and we didn't have answers for him. And you know, there's uh, you know UCLA can be so um, meticulous with their and, and demonstrative with their pace of play and. So it you know makes it hard to claw back in, and we um you know we we we've uh you know it's just it's a game it's March it happens and um you know like I said credit UCLA they played great and, and we just couldn't quite get over the hump. Our next question comes from Norma Gonzalez. Norma, your line is now open. Hey, Coach, what is something that you can take away from this game that will help you start moving on to next season? Um, well, the game teaches you all the time how you need to get better. And um, and so there's a, there's a number of things that we can take from this game to get better. Uh, I'm not really there right now. I think um, it's a hard locker room right now. We're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to be here this tournament. And uh, um, I'm personally so uh, so humbled and grateful that I get to be in in that locker room with those guys. They're extraordinary young men, and um, down the line, they all sacrificed so much for each other and um, they fought really hard to try and learn how to love each other. And, and um, you know, I, so I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll piece away the basketball stuff. Um, it's just hard. It's hard to do that right now uh, with, with, with what I got in that locker right now, a bunch of dudes that are um, brokenhearted and, you know, I think as much as anything, just devastated that they don't get to play uh, together again. Uh, you know, when you forge a bond that these guys work so hard, it doesn't come by accident. When you work as hard as, as, as these guys do to forge the bond that they have with one another, um, 
it's, it is um, it's devastating to know that you're not going to be in a in a locker room together again in the same form. And so, I'm, I'm not sure about the basketball stuff. You know, we got to deal with 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 our guys first. Our next question comes from Jeff. Call Jeff. Your line is open. Mark, uh, could you kind of assess uh, the performance of your seniors, not just tonight, but just uh, what they meant to this team this season? Yeah. I mean, again, um, what a gift, you know, you, 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 for anybody that's managing or leading or coaching any organization um, to have three extraordinary young men like Matt Harms and, Brandon A. Red and Alex Barcelo, you know, leading, uh, you know, what they did on the court is, is incredibly impressive. What they accomplished this year is incredibly impressive. Their numbers are all super impressive, but um, what they did in terms of uh, bonding and binding hearts and minds together in a locker room and, and finding a way to come every day and work hard and, finding a way to build a team that's better than anybody thought that they were going to be. Um, they're great human beings and they're going to do great things in their lives. Um, and, and it's super humbling to be able to, to witness that. So uh, I'm so grateful for those guys. I don't know if we're going to have three dudes walk through our doors um, that are quite like these guys, but they're special human beings. I believe we have a follow-up question from Mitch Harper. Mitch, your line is open. Mark, we saw BA uh, pretty emotional coming off the floor. You've, you've noted it as well. But what was your message to the team in the post-game locker room moments after the final horn? There's no message, guys. There's no message to make it better. Um, or at least I don't have it. You know, sometimes you come to the end of a season and, and um, you have – guys that are exhausted and frustrated and fatigued and ready for it to be over. And that's not, that's not our locker room. So that makes it doubly hard. Um, there's no words that I can say that make that better. Uh, I just told the guys how much I love them and how grateful I am to, for them to allow me the privilege of pushing them as hard as we push them and, and ask them for as much as we ask them for it. So it's, you know, there's, there's, I don't have any better words of wisdom than that. We'll unpack everything. These guys, uh, they, they live to respond to uh, adversity. They, 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 um, they, they're experts at getting back up off the mat and, and uh, moving on and making great things happen. And I know that this locker room will do that. And I know these young men in the do that, but um, there's going to be some mourning and some grieving that goes on and, We'll do that together, just like we competed and won games together this year. Coach, our last question is a follow-up from Jake Hatch. Jake, your line is open. Yeah, Mark, kind of building off that question just barely, though. But as you consider the totality of this season, what you guys have gone through all year long, do you just have any overall thoughts on what they endured just to get to this point? Um, I don't, yeah. Um, you know, 
I don't know how, how much we talk. We probably talk about this all the time, guys, but um, these guys accomplished extraordinary things. I mean, they're a top 25 team. They're, you know, metrically astounding. They've probably made the biggest jump from their ranking in preseason to the end of the season, as big a jump as any team in the country. Um, you know, they've, you know, won huge game after huge game after huge game. Um, they came every single night and every single day in practice ready to go. Uh, you know, they've, they took a eclectic collection of guys from all over with all different backgrounds. Uh, they had played together and, and they forged a really special team. And, um, you know, so, so, so many accomplishments, but again, the, you know, the, that's all the stuff that's good for you guys and good for me. Um, what these guys did that's so spectacular that nobody's going to understand. I mean, I'll keep saying it, but nobody's going to understand is, um, is these guys formed a relationship, the likes of which you rarely have in your life and, and, um, with each other. And, uh, and that, like I said, I said over and over, that doesn't just happen. That comes because guys work at it and sacrifice for it. And so, I care about wins and losses. I care about numbers and I care about all those things. And all those things are super important. And these, this team accomplished incredible things. Uh, you know, again, they're walking out of this season with a pocket full of records and, and incredible accomplishments and, and huge contributions to BYU basketball, to the history of BYU basketball, some great things. But at the end of the day, all that stuff is fine, but um, they, they got, they got, They got something that's way deeper and way more important than any of those things. They got each other. And um, if you don't understand what I mean, I understand. I get it. But it just is, you know, so I don't know if that answers your question. All right, there is Mark Pope after BYU gets knocked out. And we got eight more games today. Got the BYU women coming up at 10 a.m. today. They're an 11 seed playing six seeded Rutgers. They got an in at large. That one's on ESPNU at 10 o'clock if you want to watch it. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the Utah Jazz, Rudy Gobert, talking, uh, talking all things jazz and talking about defense. And uh, was that Wizards lost a turning point? We'll hear from Rudy next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz should be rested, and I don't know about relaxed. That seems like a little too much, but they had two days off. They pra- they had Saturday off. They had to travel. They, uh, they practiced Sunday. Rudy Gobert met with the media after practice. Uh, they play the Bulls tonight to wrap up a five-game road trip. They're 2-2 two and two on this trip. It's been a struggle. Is the arrow up? Every time they win a game, we think, is the arrow up? I assume at some point they're going to get on a roll again. they got a lot of home games. Schedule's getting softer. Not right away, because Brooklyn is coming to town Wednesday, and the Nets are obviously very good. But they got the Bulls, and this is a winnable game. Now, the question is, will they defend? Because it's all about the defense. 
You know, when the Jazz give up less than 100 points this year, they're undefeated. They're 10-0. and When they give up 100 to 109 points, they're 13-1. and That is 23-1 and if they hold teams under 110 points. You get above that, that 110 to 119 range, they're 5-3. and You get to 120 or more, now they're 2-7. and they got to defend. And when the defense gets slipshod, when they get beat in transition, uh, when guys are, you know, caught standing still, turning their heads, getting beat on back cuts, all that easy kind of stuff, they start giving up the easy points. You know, the difference between 1 and 105 and 118 or 123, it's a couple possessions a quarter, but it's definitely the difference between winning and losing. We're 41 games into the Jazz season. This would be half of a normal season. This is 72 games, not 82, so we're well past the halfway point. But... You get the point. 41 games in, the trends are clear. They're a very good team when they give up less than 110 points. Simple as that. So Rudy Gobert addressed a lot of that and talked a lot. Uh, you'll hear him talk about the Wizards' loss of turning point. You guys basically looking in the mirror and not, seeing, not, like, not liking what they see. He also talks about his hip and uh, says it's just a bruise. I would expect he'd play if he can play Saturday and with two days off. He'll get into that. Here's Rudy Gobert. Rudy, on, on the heels of... You know, to win on Friday night, how important is it for you guys uh, to try to close this road trip off um, with a win considering, you know, the the schedule that's ahead of you guys? It's uh, for us, it's just one game at a time. You know, every – I thought last game was a very important win for us. You know, those guys played really hard and, you know, they really wanted to win. And, um, you know, we – they came out ready and uh, we did too. And, you know, we, we got it for the for the, the whole game and it was a big win for us. So we want to keep building on that, especially defensively. And, uh, you know, every night until the playoffs, every night is going to be a, an opportunity for us to keep building our, our identity defensively and, uh, and keep getting better. Chris and Kenny, Joss TV. Hey, Rudy, over the last month, you guys have had one home game which is crazy to even think of that. And of course, you know, you guys who participated in the All-Star, I mean, really it's been just a grind. Can you put into perspective just the mental and physical challenges during this last month? I mean, it's, it's kind of like you, we know that uh, right now uh, it's our last long uh, Eastern road trip. So we knew that uh, this stretch particularly was going to be uh, probably tough physically and mentally. And, uh, you know, I think we all, uh, we all embrace that. We all know that, uh, you know, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to eat right. We have to try to, try to get as much sleep as we can and, uh, and take care of ourselves mentally and, uh, and physically. And uh, we know that uh, those games are also great tests for us mentally. You know, when you're a little tired, uh, when you're a little beat up, um, you need to bring something else to the table. And when I talk about communication and, and being connected is those things that we know that, you know, when we're tired, if we're able to do those things, then when we, when we are fresh, you know, it's going to be even better. And it's, uh, you know, it's a long season. We knew before the season started that it was going to be a, a little less uh, days without games. And, uh, you know, we, we know that, uh, you know, it's going to be like that until the, until the, the playoffs and, and probably during the playoffs too. So, you know, we just got to keep taking care of ourselves and, uh, Keep getting better. Sarah Todd, Desert News. Rudy, after the game, after the loss to the Wizards, uh, you and um, many other players and Quinn were all 
um, a little frustrated with the slip that you guys had had defensively. And you guys talked about, you know, communication being a big part of that, needing to get back to communicating more and helping each other. Do you guys talk about that? Like, do the players talk to each other and say, like, we need to refocus? Or how do you guys approach that? We do. I mean, we, we try to, you know, especially before the game uh, and during the game, during timeouts and stuff. Uh, I mean, as a leader, I, I try to, you know, make sure I keep communicating with my teammates, um, keep reminding them how important it is to to communicate. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think uh, that Weasels game really, when we, we all kind of looked at ourselves and we, we realized that the picture I was looking at was ugly. So we, I think he woke us up in a way, you know, and uh, and we saw that that wasn't the team that we wanted to be. You know, we want to be a team that uh, takes every single defensive possession uh, seriously and uh, that doesn't want to give anything easy away to the other team and a team that plays together. And, uh, you know, we, we're about to come, come in Toronto, in, uh, against Toronto and... Uh, and we had a great defensive game. You know, they 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 hit some shots, and we still, you know, we we stay with it, uh, and we were able to to win this game. So that's the team we want to be, and I think we there is no doubt about it. You know, now it, within the group, uh, and uh, it's on every single one of us to keep doing the little extra effort uh, for the team and for one another. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. I don't know if you saw Ben Simmons' comments on kind of his defensive player of the year candidacy. And basically he was saying that because he is a versatile defender, because he can guard multiple positions, um, that he, he felt he was more valuable than you who you know, as a rim protector. And I'm just kind of curious what your, your thought is on kind of that, that versatile defender versus a rim protector and kind of how you can like compare the value of those very different defensive roles. I mean, to me, it's um, there's a lot of very good defenders in this league, and uh, you know, I, I don't want really to spend my time looking at other guys, but but you know, to me, it's about impact. It's about uh, how much how much impact you can have on the court, and how much impact you can have on your teammates, and and at the end of the day, how much impact you can have on your team and and on the on the other team, you know. And uh, it's not about being cute. It's not about you know looking good. Uh, it's not about narratives, you know. It's not about you know uh, having a big name. It's about you know coming out every single night, trying to you know grind defensively and have that impact on the game. And you know, there's a lot of uh, now we have a uh, thankfully we have a lot of advanced statistics. We have a lot of ways to measure uh, somebody's impact, you know. And uh, you know that's why when when people uh, you know, kind of campaign from themselves. I think it's great, you know, but uh, for me, just being worried about uh, my team, uh, how can I, you know, have my team every single night and how can we keep getting better as a team? And, you know, when uh, when the season ends, the best defender is going to win it. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Rudy. So you discussed kind of the, the increased, the need for increased communication between you know, a- after the Wizards game, uh, you know, after that game, you'd mentioned being pretty unhappy with the effort after the Raptors game, you know, it seemed like everyone was a lot happier. Is it as simple as better communication or were there other things involved kind of 
what what was the difference between one game to the next? I think the effort, you know, our toughness, uh, toughness. We're way more physical, you know. Everyone, uh, I felt like individually we we had some pride against the Raptors. You know, guys didn't didn't want to get beat off the dribble. Guys weren't giving up on the plays. We we're running back defensively. Uh, we all had that feeling that whenever they scored, it can it kind of hurt us a little bit. And uh, against the Wizards, it was like they scored, but it's okay. We're gonna try to score. Uh, it's our turn now, and you know we just play kind of like pickup game, and that's not the way we we want to play. And when we all have that individual pride, you know, and obviously carries on to the team, and you know, and we can be a uh, I think the greatest defensive teams uh, are teams of uh, of tough guys, you know, just tough guys that have pride. And, you know, I think we have that, you know, we just can't get distracted by, you know, the the, the points and uh, and not try to foul or, you know, and or when we're tired, you know, try to save ourselves. Uh, you know, when we all play that way, you know, just the team just does this. And I don't know how many points we score off our defense, but, you know, when we get those stops uh, and we're able to run, uh, you know, we get easy shots and it makes everything easy, you know, on the shooters, on myself, uh, and we, we're having fun. Follow-up from Chris and Kenny. Rudy, Joe uh, just seems to continue to get better with age. I mean, you look at what he's doing this year. You've known him for such a long time. Can you just speak to what he's bringing you guys this year, and then also his versatility. I mean, Joe, is, it's kind of been the, the, the glue within our team. You know, the guy that tries to do every single thing he can do to, to help his teammates and to impact the game. And, you know, uh, whether it's defensively, uh, whether it's offensively, what, you know, we almost have to beg him to, to shoot. And now we... And now we... Now I feel like he's had his best week this season because he's shooting the ball and he's being really aggressive and you know and uh, and it's just you know every single night whether he makes threes or he doesn't his his impact on our team is uh has been great and uh, I mean for myself especially you know being able to have someone that uh, is always looking for me and looking to find me uh, it really has my confidence and and I think he you know he's, he's doing that with every single one of us and. It really helps the team, you know, uh, kind of like stay together in a way. And um, and and, uh, and defensively, you know, it's just it's just tough. So it's a, uh, you know, that mindset that we want to have every single night. And uh, it's been uh, it's been great for us. Follow up from Thanks, Sarah. Rudy. Rudy, how's your hip? <laughs> how's my hip? Uh, it's better. You know that that little extra day was was good. Um, you know, I think it should be better even tomorrow. So, you know, just uh, just a bad bruise. You know, and uh, just want to make sure that it doesn't impact you know uh, the rest of the the body. And it's all about you know trying to just fight through it, and uh, and it's gonna get better and better. Last questions from David Locke. Rudy, you guys haven't been quite right offensively in the first quarter of games, yet that same group in the third quarter is really good. Um, what is that difference recently? It's a good question. I think, um, you know, I think our, we need to find a way to start again better. And uh, I think against the Raptors, we, we had a great, you know, defensive start, 
offensively, I felt like we're getting good shots. Um, just, they just didn't fall, you know. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of starting the game uh, and playing the right way, you know, not overthink, uh, trying to be aggressive and and unselfish. And uh, and uh, for me, the, the 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 big focus for us is really to to start the game uh, the right way defensively, because when you once again, when you when we start the right way defensively, uh, we're able to score off our defense, and uh, and it really you know it really helps our our flow offensively, and uh, and it's the same for the other team. You know, usually when we start the game uh, uh, a little soft defensively, the other guys get confidence, and and then it makes it harder on us the whole game. So it's really uh, you know try to try to play the right way offensively, and uh, and more importantly try to start the game with toughness and. And really locked in defensively. There is Rudy Gobert as the uh, Utah Jazz get ready to play play the Bulls tonight. You hear that game right here on the Zone. Now the Jazz then will be back home, and uh, it's like eleven or fourteen at home, something crazy like that. They've got the Brooklyn Nets Wednesday, the Grizzlies Friday and Saturday. The game's really, really coming fast and furious now. And you know the race. They're two games in front of the Suns. Suns beat the Lakers last night. The Lakers. You know, LeBron going down with that sprained ankle looked bad. He had a guy falling into him, and he, the ankle rolled in, not out. Uh, we've all probably sprained our ankles doing something. If you played basketball, but, you know, maybe playing another sport or, I don't know, clumsy on the stairs or the curb or whatever. Uh, it looked bad, and LeBron didn't like to show pain. He showed a lot of pain, so <laughs> I think that was bad. Lakers seeing a definite amount of time. LeBron wants to make it as little time as possible, so... Is that two weeks? Is that four? Is that six? The Lakers aren't saying anything at this point. So we'll see how it plays out. Eight weeks left in the season. Uh, Regular season ends eight weeks from yesterday. So he's got time to get healthy before the playoffs, and I think they're the one team where it really doesn't matter what they're seeded. They got LeBron, and nobody else has got LeBron. You know, the Nets have three very good players, you know, two MVPs, uh, two guys who won championships, right? Three championships, two for Durant and one for Kyrie. And... uh, Harden and Durant have been MVPs, so you know they're loaded, they're talented, but nobody's got a LeBron. So we'll see how that plays out. All right, we can take a break. When we come back, BYU football. Aaron Roderick meeting with the media as the Cougars spring practice starts to wind down. It wraps up this week, end of this week. We'll get to that next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. BYU's got their spring game coming up at the end of the week. How is the offense progressing? They're sending a quarterback to the draft. they got to find a new quarterback. they got a, a new offensive coordinator, although as transitions go, I think this would be as minor as possible. I mean, Grimes is gone and Roderick's in, but Roderick was there running the passing game, and he's been an offensive coordinator before. Two different stints for a total of four years at the U. As PK points out famously, he won 39 games. So I think as transitions go, it's about as smooth as it can get. Here is Aaron Roderick. Yeah, Aaron, I'll start you off on an easy one. How are the quarterbacks looking so far in spring? <laughs> um, good. Um, we, you know, we have four guys taking reps right now, which um, isn't easy. But I feel like uh, 
you know, we're getting into this, into the deep into spring ball now where they're starting to sort of uh, accumulate enough reps that we're starting to get a good idea of who, who each one of these guys are. And, um, but we're still very much in the process of evaluating them. When it comes to evaluating guys in spring versus, say, training camp coming up in August, are there differences or is it the, kind of the same process, just the early part of that process? Um, spring and training camp are fairly similar. Um, I would say maybe the only difference being in spring, you're really giving reps to a lot of, a lot of players at other positions as well, where you're kind of trying to find out who some of your younger guys are and develop them, bring them along. Um, where in training camp, you, you know, after that probably first week of training camp, you're, you're more zeroing in on the guys that are going to play for you. And so, that that would probably be i think the execution level in in fall camp usually goes up a little bit you know it's just as you zero in more on who's going to play and those guys get reps of playing together so that can help the quarterback sometimes but um they're very similar Aaron, on the quarterback uh competition uh, sometimes there's a you know strategic advantage between for for not naming a starter before the first game. Do you buy into that, or or do you prefer to not have it as as a distraction and just say, hey, this is going to be the guy we're going to move forward here? Yeah, I think there's value in that for sure. And now, if if one of the guys just clearly, without question, is just so obviously the guy that there's no way the secret's not going to get out, then that's you know that's silly. But when you have a good competition, and you know there, there's different differences between the guys, uh, definitely. Why would you Why would you let your opponent know which one which one it's going to be and be prepared for that guy? I mean, so I'm not saying that that's my plan, but. Um, if it takes that long to decide, then that is a bonus for sure. So you're saying you're probably going to be fielding quarterback questions up until game, um, game week, like likely just, you know, just so you're aware. It's possible. I mean, it's possible. I'm not, again, that's not part of my strategy, but it is possible. And if the battle is really, really tight all the way up to, to the game, then I do think there's, there's something to that. And I know there is because I've coached with defensive coaches that are trying to guess well, which quarterback are we going to see? What's, what style of play is it going to be? And, and uh, so, um, but if one of the guys clearly becomes the guy and, you know, when those things happen, the word gets out, right? So if, if that happens, then it'll happen. But so far it's been a really tight battle. Coach, I wanted to ask you a little bit of a different question because it's now March Madness. Who were maybe some of the best basketball players either on the coaching staff or some of the players on the team when you guys hoop it up and do some pickup ball? Me. I'm the best basketball player on the staff, and it's not close. Um, so, yeah, that's it. And nobody else. Just kidding. Harvey's a good player. Kalani's not a bad basketball player, actually. Uh I haven't seen everybody play though, but I can still shoot. That's all I do now. I don't play. I don't play anymore though. I just shoot with my kid in the backyard. It's like Steph Curry out there just cooking from from three. Yeah, yeah. no, I can't. I don't play at all anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but there are some pretty good basketball players on our coaching staff, yeah. and I think Harvey definitely is the best one. Uh, with on on the football side of things, with with the quarterback battle, how is um, 
Jaron Hall, like, you know, coming in, he was fully healthy. How is he, uh, where have you seen maybe growth in his game now that he's healthy again? He looks better every day. So he's, he's, you're, the, the health is everything with him. He is, he's had a tough time staying healthy. Uh, but when he's been available to us, he's played well. So that's the whole deal with him. And the first practice or two, I would say he was a little rusty. Uh, he hadn't played football in a full, in a, in a year. And the last time he played was, you know, we got five practices last spring and that was the last time he actually played. So the first couple of practices of this spring, he was a little rusty, just a, the, the speed of the game was maybe a little quick for him at first. Um, but he looked good, like physically. And so, you know, when you're as talented as he is just each day, he looks a little better, a little better. And I feel like, uh, you know, we're today was practice 11 and the last three days, uh, he's looked like a veteran player out there and he's doing a good job. Hey, Coach, so kind of moving away from March Madness and spring ball, uh, looking ahead to the NFL draft, uh, this is arguably the best draft class BYU has had in about 20 years. What do you think has contributed to that success, and is it something that BYU will be able to continue in the future, or is it like a one-off type of situation? No, I, I mean, I don't I don't know how many guys we're going to have every year or even this year, but uh, it's definitely part of our recruiting strategy is we are trying to recruit players who have NFL ability and who have NFL goals. We, we want a team full of guys that have a goal to play in the NFL. And, and especially in, in the quarterback room, I'm not interested in any quarterbacks that don't at least want to get there. I mean, not everybody will, but that should be their, that should be an important goal of theirs if they want to play QB for me. And so we're trying to recruit players at every position that have a chance. And then, uh, you know, if you keep, if you keep uh, getting enough players that have the raw material then you know you're bound to you do a good job developing them then you're bound to have some draft picks at some point and I think that you're going to see more in the next few years um, and it's been it's been a big focus in our recruiting and our development and what can you say about this year's BYU draft class and what makes them special like why you were able to have so many guys um, be able to declare for the NFL draft well, it just starts with good coaches that recruited them. I mean, you know, it, it's recruiting. Recruiting is huge. Just identifying guys, you know, at a at a young age that you think are going to develop. You know, and, and it's not always the five star national recruit that's coming to BYU. And so, but seeing, you know. It, the guys that were involved in recruiting, you know, Brady Christensen, for example, I mean, he was a, you know, that was, that was a great job by everyone involved in recruiting him and then everybody involved in developing him. And he was an undersized guy that was super athletic. And there were some coaches here that saw a vision of what he was going to be in five years. And you can say that about Dax Milne and, and, Zach and uh, you know a bunch of other guys and you know of course Kyrus was a you know he was a pretty pretty highly recruited guy as well but um, uh, or you know pretty well known right from the start but so I wouldn't maybe he doesn't count in that category of being under recruited but um, it starts with recruiting and then development and then of course each one of those guys just 
you could, you could, you could find just individual characteristics in each one of them that they were driven guys that wanted to be great. And we gotta, we gotta keep it up. We gotta keep finding those guys. All right, let's take a follow-up from Jared, Mitch, and Jake. Aaron, I wanted to ask about um, whether you're seeing differences. You've been working with Jeff Grimes for a long time, and I was just wondering if it's if it's a unique new approach that uh, Coach Funk's bringing in with the offensive line or if it's following a lot of the same things that uh, Coach Grimes did. Um, a little bit of both. He's... Coach Funk's a very different, different personality, different approach. But uh, one thing I really have enjoyed about him is that he he knew that we have a good offense and a good system already established, and he came in and did not change a single word for the offensive lineman. I mean, all the line calls that those guys make, all the play calls, the, all the techniques we use. I mean, he came in and learned our stuff. And I've worked uh, with coaches in the past who struggle with that and want to come in and establish their own system and make the players learn something new, make, you know, make them learn their deal. And he, he came in and learned ours. And so I have a lot of respect for him for that. He's coached so many different places and been in so many different systems that um, there, you know, there really hasn't been an issue or a problem that's come up where he hasn't been able to say, well, when I was at this school, we handled that problem like this. And when I was at this other school, we handled it this way. And he's got like three solutions to every problem that have come up so far. He's, he's very, very good coach um but similar to grimy i mean grimy same thing grimy was such a veteran guy he had answers for everything as well so um that's and that was important i wanted a veteran guy who who's been around the block like grimy has and and so personality wise they're different but experience wise and 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 all that is very similar and then just daryl i thought he's just his i don't know what the word is but uh humility to just come in and pick up the ball he's, he's like hey this isn't broke let's let's not change anything let's keep rolling so he's he's learned our stuff and i think the players appreciate that the other thing i wanted to ask just really quick was what area do you feel like needs the most improvement for this offense to to be at its best when we get to the games well i don't know if there's a specific area of improvement but i think there's a lot to prove about players who have left holes to fill you know I think we were a very balanced team last year we could run it we could throw it um, we were good in, on third downs we were good in the red zone and we did a lot of good things but some good players left and so somebody some some you know in the case of the quarterback it's going to have to be a, a, a person in the case of like Dax losing Dax Milne or Matt Bushman or somebody it doesn't always have to just be one guy it could be a couple of guys but we need players to step up and fill fill those shoes man we need someone to play left tackle Brady Christensen's gone you know and and Zach Wilson's gone and guys have to step up and fill those spots so it's not necessarily areas of the offense it's just who are those individuals going to be that that step up I think I have a lot of confidence in the in our depth and I think we'll we'll find the right people but that's the deal Coach, do, do you, uh, now that you're the offense coordinator and there's one less offensive coach on the staff, do you have the ability to, you know, work with some of the other position groups ever, or is it just solely focused on the quarterback at all times? 
I'm with the quarterbacks all the time, but we have portions of practice every day where we're working with other position groups. So, um, so yeah, I still get, I still get a good amount of work with the other groups, but at the same time, I have a lot of trust in our staff. So I don't feel like I have to, I don't, I don't necessarily need to, uh, you know, not, not looking over anybody's shoulder or anything. We've, we've been together now for a while and we have a good system in place and everybody knows it and um so but yeah we every day we have you know periods of practice where i'm working with the tight ends working with the running backs working with the receivers sometimes combinations of those groups working together getting certain areas of our passing game or our run game worked out um you know we spend a lot of time every day working on blitz, uh you know blitz pickup and pass protection things with the o-line and the backs and the tight ends and so there's there's tons of crossover um amongst those groups and chances to interact with the guys who coach those positions Aaron, when it comes to Zach, obviously the pre-draft process he is all over the place headlines everywhere i just wanted to ask you how many conversations have you had with NFL personnel? Uh, I'm just talking more about specifically since the season ended in this lead yeah. up to the draft. Too many to count. I mean, it, it, it got exhausting for a while. I was, there was a the minute there where I was like, I'm spending so much time on it. It was kind of eating into my job time here. Um, I'm happy to do it, of course, for him. I'm proud of him, happy for him. But, yeah, a lot of teams, he's – there's a lot of teams that like him. I know that. I don't I don't know when he's going to go, but I know there's a lot of teams that really like him. And just kind of building off that, obviously you, was, you being the passing game coordinator, you had your hand across all the positions from last year. Have you had conversations about guys like Brady and some of the other players that are in this draft class, Dax, et cetera? Yeah, sometimes not not every scout or every you know uh, management person or whoever I talk to not not all of them ask me about those guys. Some some ask me about all of them. Some of them just ask me about Zach. So that's more mixed. Um, but yeah, I've I've had conversations about all of our offensive players with with uh, various teams, and then I think I've talked to almost everybody about Zach. Last thing for me, I just wanted to ask you real quick. You guys are going to have that open practice next Friday. Actually have fans out there. Are you excited to have fans back in the stands, just have a little fun out there on the field again? Yes, and I just I want to say right now, I wish our our uh, our depth and our injury situation was a little more suited to actually have a spring game. You know, we two years ago we had one over at Provo High that was really fun. It was it wasn't probably wasn't the best football game in the world, but it was fun. We split up into teams and we played a spring game and we had a good time doing it. It was entertaining. Uh, we wanted to do something like that. I don't think it's going to be possible though. We're just, we got O linemen, a couple of guys that have had some injuries and we got to be smart about getting to the season healthy. So we're probably, it's probably going to be more of a practice, but you'll still see a good amount of football offense against defense, some scrimmaging, uh, We'll throw the ball around and everybody can, everybody can, uh, you know, email me and DM me their opinions of our quarterbacks. I'm sure I'll get a whole bunch of those and uh, that'll be great. There's BYU offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Crazy weekend of NCAA basketball. The Jazz are back at it tonight. LeBron's hurt. Stay with us. 
Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. We accepted that challenge. You know, that's a that's a team that's got a championship pedigree. A lot of those guys played on that team a few years back, and and they've always been that kind of physical team, and um, you know, led by their guards and, and Pascal. So, um, for us to to you know take a couple punches and keep moving, and not only you know be defensive, but fight back, push push the tempo, push push the pace of the game, and get to the free throw line you know that was big for us tonight uh, especially in a night where we didn't have many guys making a lot of shots you know um, from the perimeter so when we, we get into that pain of making free throws and get to the line I think that was huge that's Mike Conley Friday night after the Jazz beat the Raptors their most recent game 2-2 two and two on the road trip and of course he thought it was huge the way they got to the free throw line and had a 41-14 to 14 advantage in free throws and Nick Nurse thought it was an outrage and thought those guys weren't going to let us win tonight and threw his mask into the crowd, yelled some profanity at the uh, refs, and got fined 50 grand for it. So it all depends what color jerseys you're wearing, PK. Jazz now have had a couple days off. Rudy Gobert's hip getting better, he said. And now the question is, can they beat the Bulls and finish the road trip with a winning record and go 3-2 and two on this trip? They will be home for a lot of games over the course of the next three three weeks or so. So can they finish off this road trip the right way, pick up the W, and can they play a little bit of defense? I mean, that's really a massive factor here. Now, they didn't give up a lot of points to the Raptors uh, at the free throw line, but, man, the Raptors shot the three really well. They had jazz-like numbers, 21 of 44, and still didn't get the win. So... Cut down on all those fast break points that are going up. Eliminate the 30-point quarters that Quinn Snyder has complained about and have a chance to beat the Bulls. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Well, the big news this weekend in the NBA was LeBron James got hurt. LeBron James is borderline indestructible. He was hurt. Two years ago, had the groin injury, and of course the Lakers ended up in the lottery because of that. This doesn't look that serious. It also didn't look good. Ankle sprain, uh, had an opposing player roll into his ankle, and usually when you, you twist your ankle, it goes over, but it rolls outside. This rolled inside. It looked bad. He looked like he was in a lot of pain. The Lakers say he's out indefinitely. They're just not putting a timeline on it. Does that mean two, four, six weeks? There are eight weeks left before the playoffs, which seems like the most important number, and it seems like he ought to be back before that. But for the foreseeable future, no LeBron. And without him, Suns hammered the Lakers 111-94, and Chris Paul goes over 10,000 career assists, only the sixth guy to do that. PK, no LeBron, no problem as long as he's back before the playoffs and AD's back and they get on a roll. I can't say that there's no problem. We'll have to see. He's getting older, and so this is one of the things that happens when you get older. You get more susceptible to injury, and the rehab, whatever that injury is, takes longer. So I can't say that they're the absolute shoe-in and they're going to win it, and it is no problem. We'll have to wait and see. But he's been indestructible. 
It was like Mount Olympus crumbling, seeing him out on the floor like that. I've never seen him do that. And he has just been the behemoth for so long. You think of him as indestructible because he has been. He's so big and strong and fast. I mean, he's got all the skills, obviously. And to see him on the ground on the floor like that was an unusual sight. He stayed in and hit a three, kept his double-digit scoring streak alive, but then the cold timeout, they got him out. He went to the locker room, and that was it. He left early second quarter. So, And then they said he wasn't going to go to Phoenix, but then he did go to Phoenix, and he was on Twitter saying, you know, the most painful thing is I'm not there with and for my guys. So, Yeah, by the there. time he got to Phoenix, man, I was rising. Mavericks beat the Blazers 132-92. to Luka Doncic had 37. They just lit Portland up. And the Nuggets lost. Pelicans beat them 113-108. Denver and Portland battling for fifth. They are tied right now. Somebody looks like they'll end up in that 4-5 series. And if the Jazz hold on to the top spot, of course, that's a potential second-round opponent, depending on how things play out in the opening round, obviously. Elsewhere in the NBA, the Houston losing streak got to 20. Do you get fascinated with these things, PK, when a streak gets this massive or they're losing so you just don't care? Oh, I don't care. I'm curious how long this thing gets. Well, you're into numbers. I'm not. Whatever it might be is whatever it is. It doesn't really bother me either way. Thunder squeaking past Houston, 114 to 112, the final score there. Sixers win again. They edged the Knicks. Tobias Harris, a couple of late free throws. Philly 101-100. Philly staying in front of the Nets. The Nets beat the Wizards 113-106. They are 1-2 in the East. And the Nets will be here to see the Jazz on Wednesday as the Jazz return home. So see them soon enough. Uh, The other injury in addition to LeBron is LaMelo Ball. Fractured bone, right wrist, expected to be done for the year. The injury is in the area of his thumb on his shooting hand. He's going to get a second opinion, but it doesn't look like we'll see LaMelo Ball again. Yeah, I think the big, the bigger start for the Jazz is the Bulls beat the Pistons. The Bulls played yesterday, and now they've got the game today against the Jazz. Zach Levine had 18 there. Chicago won 100 to 86, but now they have to go back to back. DJ and PK. Hashtag College Basketball. Man looking for room. Step back three for the wing. Around it off. No good. Fight for the rebound underneath. Lewis has it. Turns. Fires a three from the right corner. That's an air ball. Rebound tip. Still loose inside. It's over. It's over. Oral Roberts wins. Oral Roberts is going to the Sweet 16. Oral Roberts only the second 15 seed to advance to the Sweet 16. They were down by 10 or 11 to Florida with about 10 minutes to go. An impressive rally. Gators had a couple of shots right at the end of force OT. They didn't go, and Oral Roberts wins 81-78. That was a good comeback by them, PK. Great comeback. Phenomenal. Yeah, wow. Look at them go. Loyola of Chicago beat an Illinois team that hasn't played him for about a decade. They finally got him in the NCAA tournament, and they took him out. And it was pretty decisive, too, 71-58. Loyola Chicago's moving on to get Oregon State next. Oregon State beat Oklahoma State by 10, 80-70. The Pac-12's got a team in the Sweet 16, and they got four more teams playing for it today. This has been a great start to the tournament for the Pac-12. Outside of money, what does it get you, though? Uh, will it change the rep and elevate the conference and all that stuff? Depends on how far they go. I mean, we could have a bunch of teams check out well, today, and then that won't really be a big story. Why does it need to elevate the rep? They got five teams in. Uh, 
There are leagues that get uh, eight teams in, and do kids want to stay home and play in the league because it's more competitive, or do they want to take off and go to the Big Ten or the ACC? Well, it's basketball. Nobody really cares that much. I mean, it's all about football. I keep hearing that. Like, it's like the Utes in 05 when they had the first pick of the NBA in the NFL draft. What did it get them? I mean, I just I don't know what the tangible effect is. And if you're Utah, what do you care? Syracuse picked up a, a couple of wins. They took down West Virginia, the three seed. They're getting the two seed, Houston. Houston barely escaped against Rutgers. Houston with a good comeback. They were down 10 with 10 minutes to go and were able to escape with a 63-60 win there. Locally, Utah State, BYU both out in the first round. The Cougars have been here before, and PK, we're going to get to it coming up. But uh, what do the Cougars get out of this? Where do they go from here? UCLA beat them 73-62, and BYU could not make a 3-3 three. Three of 17, a really low percentage, and that doomed them in their loss to the Bruins. Yeah, they got to get players. I mean, Mark Pope, he's got to use his charisma to get in that transfer portal and get some players that BYU normally doesn't get. And we all know what we're saying, it, but we can't say it. Uh, but we know what we're talking about and see if he can do that. All right, we will get to that coming up. And a coaching change at UNLV. Assistant coach Kevin Kruger promoted to be UNLV's head coach. He, of course, is the son of current Oklahoma coach Alon Kruger, the former UNLV coach, the father, getting the sweet coaching gig. And he's not even 40 yet. Oh, yeah, he's 38. I believe he was the first grad transfer in the NCAA when they had that rule. He was going to ASU, and he used it to be eligible the next season to play for his father at a UNLV. I think they might have gone to the Sweet 16, too. I'm not sure. I think so. I'd have to double-check that. So he's recognized as the first one to take advantage of that rule that was put in for academics, and now which is shattered, and nobody uses it for academics. <laughs> Get where you're going to go. Take those classes online and keep going. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft said the reason for his franchise going on a free agent spending binge was we're in the business to win. It's like investing in the stock market. Take advantage of corrections and inefficiencies in the market when you can, and that's what we did here. We'll see. Nothing's guaranteed and very cognizant of that, but we're not in the business to be in business. He has paid almost as much to free agents this offseason as he paid to buy the team back in 1994. 27 years ago, he bought an NFL team for the then-massive total of $172 million. He's now doled out $162 million in guaranteed money, and they're expected to do a few more deals, so he may get to $172 million. He may still pass it. Yeah, I mean, you could say that about everybody. Didn't Jerry Jones give Dak Prescott more than he gave to buy the team? The guys guys who, yeah, right? Because Kraft got into 94, and Jerry Jones got in five years before that. That was was the going rate in the early and mid-90s, and of course it's... And now gone up 10 times that, if not, you know, 15 times that. Yeah. Uh, The Rams added Deshaun Jackson on a one-year deal to bolster their lineup, so they grab a free agent wide receiver. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Joey Votto returned to spring training for the Cincinnati Reds. The first baseman tested positive for COVID-19 March 10th. 
He will remain sidelined until he's in game shape. I feel good, the 37-year-old six-time All-Star said. I'm glad to be back. I'm looking forward to putting the uniform on and joining the team. I miss playing ball. I miss being part of that group. I read putting the uniform on, and I think of that young student teacher and baseball coach, Patrick Kinahan, putting on the uni. (laughs) I was actually uh, done with student teaching at that point. I was subbing. Uh, when I put on the uniform at Deer Valley High School. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, for sure. And Joey Votto's 37, going on 19, and he wants to put on the jersey one more time. I don't so. blame him. Yeah, yeah right. absolutely, man. Play until, play until they tear the jersey off you. These are good gigs. There aren't more of them out there. Grab the one you got. Kansas City Royals signed Salvador Perez, their catcher, to a four-year contract worth $82 million. That's the richest deal in Royals history. Four years, $82 million, almost seems quaint, PK. The richest deal in Royals history. Well, they're a smaller market. It's good to see them spend that money. Now, he's one of those guys who's been there for a good long while. I think he was on the World Series team as their catcher, and a lot of those guys have moved on. As you know, Lorenzo Cain is now the starting center fielder for your Milwaukee Brewers, and other guys have moved on, and, and uh, they're retaining him. And they got this Witt kid, the son of Bobby Witt, Supposed to be a stud, and he'll be making his, uh, I think he'll be making his appearance this season, and maybe they can get back to where they were. Perez is a five-time Gold Glover, six-time All-Star, and the 2020 AL Comeback Player of the Year. And that comeback pays off handsomely. Four years and $82 million. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up at 8 o'clock, Utah football availability, head coach Kyle Whittingham, receivers coach Chad Bumpus. Also among the players, a couple of big names, Nick Ford moving to center, a vet along the offensive line. He's done it all for Utah. He's a South Bay guy. And Britton Covey will also speak as well today. We'll have the the Utes for you coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. And Kyle Whittingham will be right at the crack of 8 o'clock, if not 37 seconds earlier. Yak, we will be back from break and prepared. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider at 9 o'clock, talking March Madness. DJ and PK, what about those Cougars? We will get to them next. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. I'll give you two choices. Talk jazz fans off the ledge or tell them to go ahead and jump. No, talk off the ledge. I looked at the last eight games just as a quick reference point. The good news is the Jazz's offensive rating is still top ten. Their defense is just taking a big dive. And defense being so much about your energy level and consistency and backing each other up, that's the kind of thing where if you are dragging a little bit, a little bit of defensive wane can hurt you really quickly in this league. And as good as their offense has been, it's not enough to overcome. So a a little bit of slippage on the defensive side is, is going to hurt them even more because they don't have a ton of offensive weapons. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes to Toast brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Right now you can get up to $6,000 in purchase allowance on the XT lineup. Experience the luxury you deserve by booking a test drive today. All right, question of the morning. Familiar ending for the BYU basketball team. Evaluate the season. 
People lining up after the Cougars' first-round loss. Kurt says 12-day layoff was not good. They looked out of sync from the start. They didn't have the caliber of athlete necessary to compete with UCLA. They also don't have a consistent second or third score. What they do have is a good coach with a lot of promise. Hopefully, he learned a lot about what it takes to win a tournament game and can prepare slash develop additional scorers who can be reliable in tournaments. And there it is. They don't have a consistent second or third score. You know, the 12-day layoff, you know, that isn't good. More teams would have 12-day layoffs if it was good. But in the West Coast Conference, what are you going to do about that? Nothing. You're going to have more layoffs before the NCAA tournament. Uh. Be Gonzaga, and don't let it bother you. Have the second or third score and overcome it. If you've got three or four scores and one's off, it's not a big deal. But this is a team that was uh, had some droughts in regular season games, and we saw it again in the tournament. And I thought the shots were there, but they just couldn't make them. Well, shots are always going to be there. I mean, I don't know that there's going to be a team that's going to eliminate shots. and I haven't seen that good of a defensive team there that's going to be able to do all that. Uh, they've got to get better players. I mean, that's as simple as that. Grayson says WCC is not a great conference. It's the Zags and some also-rans. It's kind of throwing in the towel. You can never win. Yeah, what's the conference have anything to do with it? When they were in the whack in the Mountain West, were they regularly going to the Sweet 16 or the round of 32? No, they were not. So who cares about the conference? The round of 32, uh, 1993, and then not again until Jimmer. Yeah. Couple with Jimmer. So Right. So, yeah, when two Sweet 16s in 30 years when you had the player of the year. Uh, they're, the the way that Mark Pope is building the program gives me hope for promise, hope for, for hope for Pope. That's my where I'm going there because he's moving away from the traditional uh, recruiting base that is the return missionary. They, let's call it like it is the Caucasian return missionary, and uh, that's the strength of your team. That's what it's built on, and that's nice. And that can win you some games in the regular season and maybe even occasionally beat Gonzaga. But it's not going to get you anywhere in the postseason. I mean, they've the, sh- the two times they've gone to the Sweet 16 in the last 40 years were not built on uh, the strength of return missionaries, right? Jimmer and Ainge. And in Ainge's day, I, I don't think they even had that many to begin with. Times have changed since then. Uh, and obviously Jimmer did not go. And so move away from that because that's not a formula that's going to get you anywhere in the NCAA tournament. It just isn't. I mean, you can argue with me all you want, but I'm not a numbers dude, but I do have an overwhelming amount of evidence. So move away from that, and that's what Pope is doing, clearly. You look at the guys that he's bringing in. I mean, they started uh, four transfers and five if you consider loaner first uh, signed with Utah, I wouldn't consider him a real transfer in that he never played for the Utes, and he's a rebounding machine, so as I understand it, he's not interested in going on a mission. For the basketball program, that's good, because I think the missions really wreak havoc, as my old uh, mentor in basketball would say, and with that in mind, continue to mine that transfer portal and get guys in here, and even if it's for one or two years, 
I mean, certainly Barcelo was worth it. There's no question Barcelo was worth it. Barcelo was definitely worth it. The question is, how many Barcelos can they get? I guess the first question is, how many Barcelos are there in the transfer window? And then the second question is, how many of those Barcelos can they get? Because he was the guy who did show up. He was the guy who hit shots, and the moment wasn't too big for him. And he was splitting double teams and going down the lane and shooting He's mentally tough. Yeah. Love the kid. Love what he displayed. Tony says the moment was too big. They literally lost the game in the first 10 minutes. They couldn't shoot themselves out of a wet paper bag. Barcelo showed up, but the rest not so much. Disappointing, to say the least. Okay. Disappointing, sure, if you thought you were going to win. I guess if you went by seed. But it reminded me, the seed reminded me of Boylan's seed when he was seeded fifth. And the Cats, Wildcats from Arizona, I think they went down to Florida and just hammered them, and they were seated 12th. And to me, it was obvious from the moment the uh, pairings were announced who was going to win. Arizona had a couple of uh, NBA players and Hill and Buttinger on that team, and I don't think the Utah had any. Buttinger, who's now launched a successful beach volleyball career, got his name on the pier, Manhattan Beach. Uh, about three years ago, he won that tournament. Get your name on the pier with Casey Patterson as his partner, who's a BYU grad. Walk the pier, people. The names are all there. There's a lot of history. Plus, it's a K- pier on a clear day. You can't really go wrong. <laughs> Casey Patterson, who married Lexi Brown, who played volleyball at BYU and went to Jordan High School. It all comes full circle. Back to the hood. There it is. <laughs> Brian says they piled up a lot of wins in a weak conference against better competition. BYU is very average. Yeah, I don't know that that has anything to do with it. We're talking about getting to the round of 32. They didn't do. They haven't done it when they're in the Mountain West and the WAC, and that was better competition. So, it's that that doesn't really float my boat. The West Coast Conference sucks. It'll always suck. Most of the teams in there have no desire to be a winning team and have an NCAA tournament team, and they don't put many resources in it. And that's not going to change. Mark Few can call them out. The West Coast Conference can rig the the tournament and do whatever they want there, but it's always going to be that way. It's, it's, I don't see where all of a sudden Pacific and San Diego and, and Portland are going to get all this money and dump it into their programs and, and be national programs or at least have a shot. So uh, that it's about... BYU getting deeper into the NCAA tournament. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the West Coast Conference. Corey says, if you look at the season with some perspective, it's actually pretty amazing. They made the tournament with the roster they had. Good season, given what they had to work with. Corey's not really buying into all the transfers. Doesn't think they look that good. Uh, Well, if you want to go in that direction... uh, but I'm looking for the program to have success in the NCAA tournament. And if you want to justify it by they weren't supposed to do this or that, that's your call. You have, uh, have that, uh, obviously, that right to do that. I think that uh, I- I'm looking at NCAA tournament. You know, that, that's, that's the thing that matters to me. And if you look at uh, Tom Homo, the BYU athletic director, obviously, this much, he tweeted out, this much I know, Mark Pope will somehow – 
build a team next year that will find a way to compete for a WCC title and make it back to the NCAA tournament. We're blessed, Cougar Nation. Now, how many people believe that? Mark Pope, Mark Pope will find a way, somehow, to compete for the WAC WCC title and make it back to the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think those are two different things. NCAA tournament, I think we could have a debate about that. Compete for the title, it seems like Gonzaga has run away and hid from the league, including BYU. Uh, but yet the, the score was tied with four minutes to go. In the game that matters the most for the automatic bid. So if they were hiding, they waited a long time to, to <laughs> go hide. They waited uh, 36 minutes. The game was tied. So uh, if that if that is running away and hiding, in the one game that's actually going to decide who gets in for sure, the Cougars battle them right to the end. Steve says it's still a great season. They got beat by a fired-up UCLA team who had played two days before. Well, and if, if that's the big thing, then get in the playing game. Set yourself up to get in the playing game. If the playing game matters that much, then go ahead and do it. Except they did do that, and then they lose the next time. I mean, we just keep making excuses here. Yep. They were in it, beat Iona, and then got worked by 20. Yeah, so uh, I, I, what can they do? It's clear Mark Pope has to go and take the program in a different direction. Well, he's already taking it in that direction. I guess now with a two-year track record, the question is, can he get better players? Or is it a case of, hey, the right combination of players have to be in the, in the transfer portal? Well, I mean, the players will be in the portal. They are who they are. And there'll be some good players in the portal. So can he piece together an NCAA team out of them? Well, yes, he's already done that. I suspect I, – I, I can agree with what Tom says here. That the roster that this is the way the philosophy of what Pope is doing now, and in this regard, I think it's smart because the other way hasn't. Unless you get the Player of the Year, you you're not going to have a whole lot of success in the tournament. I mean, these are just black and white facts, and that Player of the Year can't go on a mission. Or he hasn't gone on a mission. In the Maybe two cases, can. in the two cases we know of, has yeah. not. The next right. player of the year, well, we'll have to wait. We're uh, what a little, ten years down, twenty to go for the next player of the year. And maybe they, maybe he can. That'd be great if he can, but it just uh, isn't. Hasn't happened. Not to say it can happen, but it just hasn't. I think what Pope is doing. Moving away, he, and he's moving away from the Latter-day Saint kid, for that matter, too. And I don't think BYU fans care. They just want to win. Who cares? Show me Turney W's. Yeah. They can, you can have seven, eight non-LDS kids, even better. I think BYU fans like that. I think they're sort of tired of the 6'4 Utah County kid who has a great high school career, and people buy into that because they're on some summer circuit winning some things that who knows what they're winning. And then they get there and they have zero NCA success. Uh, then what difference does it make what you do in July and down in Long Beach? <laughs> I 
that's all nice, well and good, but that didn't get you anywhere. And and the fact is that Pope is moving away from that. And get kids in there as long as they you know at, at least uh, attempt to keep the rules or don't get caught, fine. Don't do anything crazy, fine. BYU fans don't care. They don't care about that at all. Just don't embarrass the university, and they're good to go. And I think that's what he's doing. I mean, he's going after kids like himself, transfers, who didn't go on missions and really didn't consider BYU coming out of high school. That's who Mark Pope is. That's who he was. And can you get them to consider something that at 20 that looks good that didn't look good when they were 17? Yeah, absolutely he can. He's already done it. Uh, to get it to win to win an NCAA tournament game, not just get there though, or tournament yeah. games. Yeah, plural. he's barely getting started. Why can't he? Yeah, sure. He's he's two for two in NCAA tournaments, and maybe last year's team could have won. That doesn't matter. I mean, the, they didn't get we'll to never, play. We'll never know. Yeah. Uh, and so, sure, sure he can. I suspect he'll do it again. He talks about how he how. His guys look at that thing just about every day. He's got to go out and sell it. He's a charismatic dude. He's, he, he, he creates videos of getting tested. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make something out of nothing. Yeah. We're having fun. Come have fun. Right. Well, he's got four seniors to replace, assuming I mean, they have the bonus year. I don't know that they're going to use it. Harms came out and said he wasn't, that he was done. Um, you know, three of them played pretty big roles. So he's got a bunch of juniors, assuming they all come back if guys don't leave. Oh, I would suspect somebody would. Uh, you would think. You know, as Kyle says, the transfer portal giveth and taketh. Is it right? But this is the way to go. And then the school has to loosen up and let some kids in. They've got to commit. They've got to make a commitment to winning, winning at the highest level. If that's what you want, you can't just talk it. You have to commit to it. You got to loosen up the rules, allow kids in school a little bit more. That, that's just the way it is. You can have your standards and. Good for you and have your standards. Uh, but you can't get caught up in minute details. You know, somebody has a mohawk and that becomes a discussion point. And I heard about Averett's hair early. How's he getting away with this? Who cares how he's getting away with it? Getting away with what? That would be the question. Uh, not the who. <laughs> what is he getting away with? I just. People wear their hair how they wear their hair and it's fine. Oh, he's getting away with the rules violation. Yeah. That's what he's getting away with. That's what that's what he was getting. That's that's what it's about. And then you see, we'll see it on pro day, uh, BYU's pro day. All these kids come back and they all got beards. <laughs> <laughs> Even the almighty Taysom Hill, who as next to Steve Young in righteousness, isn't he? I mean, they sure built him up like that. And he had a beard. He had a beard. Yeah. Oh no. Right. He came back, and I always love to look at that. And, the, and the Kafusi brothers, my goodness, they look like the caveman guys in the, on the uh, commercials, <laughs> Geico don't they? commercials. Yeah, look at their, their – you don't do so, uh, Instagram, but they're all over. I mean, they got long hair and beards and all this stuff. Lange has got his hair. 
yeah. is way longer. Harvey's got dreads stuff. going on right now. Yeah. Corbin Kafusi, legitimately, he's got his hair's down to his shoulders. He's got a bushy yeah. little beard. Yeah. Uh, and they, they look like they were the Beatles in the '60s after they got uh, <laughs> a little bit. They found the revolution. <laughs> the, the '64 Beatles, and all of a sudden the '69 Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, dramatically different in their appearances, obviously, as that as that caught on. Sergeant Pepper, uh, and they they went down that road, and then and the whole world actually followed them uh, with the long hair, and so they're doing all that stuff. Fred Warner. I mean, you, you can see it one after another, uh, and and yet they one of them is told twenty minutes before a game you got to shave, huh? <laughs> and it players seem... talk, and players talk, and how does that impact recruiting? No, uh, not good. You know, it may seem silly, and, and in a way it is, but for some kids that that's where it's at. Appearances. Now, obviously, that's must be where it's at because even your own Taysom Hill decided he needed to grow a beard uh, within months of uh, being uh, released from BYU's rules and regulations. So maybe they need to loosen it up to some degree. You got if you're going to be in it all the way, you got to be in it. You can't just be in it to, all the way on your terms because your terms aren't really going to get you anywhere. So can there be a happy medium somewhere? And those were if terms. That, yeah, th- those terms were put in for the Vietnam War. And and if they can find a happy medium there, I believe Pope's the right guy for the job. I don't think they're ever going to be, you know, knocking on the door annually of Elite Eight uh, and doing all that. That seems a little bit far fetched. But we're not necessarily asking for that. Maybe if we got to this point where they regularly made the Sweet Sixteen, then we'd be asking that. But obviously, they're not regularly in the Sweet Sixteen. This script that happened this year has been replayed in Provo over and over and over. It literally is Groundhog Day for those guys to do this. Three times in the Steve Cleveland era, and then a couple more with Dave Rose before Jimmer kicked the door down and won. I mean, really, even Sweet 16, wouldn't you take round of 32 right now to win a game? Since that's where we're at, yes. Yeah. I and mean, once you get it, you're going to want to. But if they were in a game every three or four years and going to a Sweet 16 once every 10 years, that would feel different. That would feel like a step forward. And if Pope pulls that off, well, he won't be here 10 years. <laughs> but, but can you pull that off? And then you get players to look at your program differently and maybe your recruiting guys who right now are blowing by you. Because that's their goal and they're trying to get to those teams. I think Pope can do it. If anybody can do it. The charisma he has and the personality he has should lend itself to this. It seems like, and it, you know, until he does it, it isn't. But it seems like he's the right guy for the time. You know, that his personality and the transfer portal, transfer portal wasn't a thing like this 10 years ago or even five years ago. And oh, it yeah, seems I think like absolutely he's the, he guy the guy for the time. But... If it doesn't pay off, I mean, we've got a pretty small sample size. He's been there two years, and they didn't have attorney the first year. He seems set up for it, but we'll never know. Seemed like it was set up this year. I mean, UCLA doesn't look like a team that's loaded with NCAA athletes. But they were tougher in the moment, and the moment wasn't bigger than them, and they made shots. They didn't, they didn't go out there and go three for 17 from the, from the arc. 
Uh-huh. So they get the win. But I've, I've got a really good friend who is a UCLA lifer. He is older than me and remembers all kinds of good UCLA teams. And I was texting with him, and he's like, this is great. I didn't see this coming. And they're, they got a legit chance to go Sweet 16. And they had to be better. You know, they're, they're, they've got some high-end recruits coming in. So They do? All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, Sister Jean's prayer was a big deal, but it was a positive big deal, not a negative big deal. We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Kalani Sataki, head coach of BYU. We have the four quarterbacks that are definitely you know up there in the running, and we're going to have to narrow this down a little bit because there's just not enough reps to go around. But right now, Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, Jacob Conover, and Soljay Mayava, those guys are the front runners, and they're having great days. And you know, the whole part about spring and even getting into being a coach, you, you want to develop depth. When you get depth and you have four quarterbacks that are battling for starting time, that's a good position to be in. There's a lot of great players here that are in the mix and then that's the whole part of trying to develop your team and develop your program is that you want to get as deep as possible so it makes everyone have to raise their level of play and then you just play the best guys we're seeing some great competition right now and especially at the quarterback position Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Kyle Winningham and the Utes coming up. Football availability. We'll we'll hear from uh, Kyle at 8 o'clock. Uh, the new receiver coach, Chad Bumpus, is going to speak. So is Britton Covey, Nick Ford. We'll have all that for you in the 8 o'clock hour. Right now, though, part two of the question of the day. Sister Jean says she prays for both teams before Loyola's Chicago games, but admits at the end of the prayer she asked God to make sure her team wins. What would happen if a person, let's just say, some other religion admits asking God to be sure a certain team wins? Uh-oh. That's what would happen. <laughs> Jacob goes right to it. He goes right to what everybody's thinking. I think Austin Colley said it best. Austin Colley. Who did he say it to? If you. If, if you are a, and this was a weird thing, this would never happen now. This was in the before times, but you were standing in front of him. Were you on the field or were no. you in the tunnel? Uh, we were just outside that little interview area. Yeah. Magic happens. And it was a one on one thing. It was. Yeah. A what? It was the before times, kids. Everything was different. The old has-been PK discarded like yesterday's news. Nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Austin Colley's thing certainly created a big brouhaha. He took a lot of heat, and if he was watching Sister Jean thinking, she's not taking the heat I took, I would say, Austin, you're right. That's Brother Austin, by the way. Sister Jean catching a break because she's 90-whatever. Oh, she's that's 101. cute. 101, yes. But the first time she did it, she was 98. Because didn't we go through this? Didn't she pray for them when they went through the Elite Eight three years ago? Oh, she's been praying for them for years. Mm. So God some, finally answered her prayers. Sometimes it it's works. It's on sometimes God's it time, not your time. <laughs> 2016? Not God's His timeline, time not yours. 2018? Or hers timeline, time depending. I can't keep track of what everybody believes these days. Wes says, can we get her to pray that the Jazz win in the NBA Finals? Sure. Why not? <laughs> Call her up, Wes. Knock yourself out. 
When I was going to ASU, there was this guy that I knew. He's involved with the Campus Ambassadors for Christ, and he was uh, not much older. But when you're 21, a guy who's 30 seems like he's uh, 150. That's true. And, and uh, so he 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 admitted to me that he would like to he would sneak in a prayer for the Suns because the Suns were pretty good in those days, and he was a passionate Suns fan. But there's only one problem is there was this roadblock that the Suns had to get by, and that roadblock was named Magic Johnson. Dang it. <laughs> and even though they had they had wrote some pretty good teams, as I they, recall. They did. But they did. Uh, Magic Johnson was just a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> so, How much better? It's as better as he needed to be. Is like catching Jerry Rice. How fast are you? How fast do I need to be? Yeah, and so uh, they could. But he, I remember talking to him one day, and he said, yeah, that he, he was – in, in his heart, he prayed that they could win because <laughs> he was he's a hardcore fan. So, and Sister Jean, I mean, what it's it's a nice story. And Loyola is a, a smaller school, obviously, and and their coach is supposedly can write his uh, his price for Indiana because he's done it twice now. And here we go again. And Sister Jean gets her run. It's it's a fun story. Question is, how far will they go now? Yeah, I don't know, but they've already overcome the odds twice in yep. just a couple of, what, a three-year period? Yep, 2018, and now here they are in the Sweet 16 again. Yeah, that's incredible. Tanner says, as far as the whole prayer for the team to win, he says it never works. I've tried. It's bad karma. <laughs> well, anyway, did your Sister Jean says it does work. That's the point. It didn't work in 2019 or 2017. So it works sometimes? Okay, well, God's not going to answer every prayer exactly the way you want it, right? Nah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, if that were the case, I'd be sitting on a beach right now. <laughs> you're, you're not? All right, when we come back, Kyle Winningham talking Utah football. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now, where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNF Roofing for your free bid. This segment brought to you by SNS Roofing. Right now, we're going to listen to Kyle Whittingham meeting with the media. Spring football continues. Off today with head coach Kyle Whittingham. If you'd like to ask questions, please get your hand raised in the participants panel. We'll start now with some opening comment from Coach Whittingham. Okay. All right. Good morning, guys, gals. Um, very good first week of spring ball. Uh, we're heading into week two now. Things will become more, much more physical and uh, should start to see some separation in some of the position group battles. But uh, we got off to a good start. Uh, players were, were dialed in, worked hard, and uh, it was a lot of good things in that first week. But, but uh, like I said, things will get more uh, – Defined as we continue to uh, get deeper into spring ball. So we're excited to get back on the field today and, and get going. So questions? We'll start with Trevor Allen from KSLSports.com, followed by Josh Newman and Hans Olson. Kyle, now, now that you guys have the, the pads on, uh, if, what was there any kind of adjustment period to having them back on or, or were guys flying around and, and, and playing really well? The latter, flying around and uh, handled the practice very well and, and uh, they're excited. Players always get excited to, to put the pads on after they've been in, in no pads for a couple of days. And you know, it's hard to play real football unless you have the pads on. And so that was uh, a situation where they were uh, excited and, and handled it very well. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, followed by Hans Olsen. 
Kyle, for a guy like Chad Bumpfist, obviously he's, you know, he's coming into a kind of a old new position, but uh, how beneficial is it to, you know, for him to be familiar with the program, but also to have some f- familiar faces in the wide receiver room already? Yeah, it's an advantage. That's uh, something that doesn't typically happen when you get a new coach on your staff, but fortunately we had Chad with us uh, back in 18 and, and knows our system, knows how we do things. And like we mentioned uh, previously, he's, He's got uh, four or five, maybe half a dozen guys in that room that uh, that were here back in 2018, and so there is familiarity, which which does help. Staying in the wide receiver room, just to follow up real quick, you know, Covey has, you know, he had some injuries during that 2020 season. What, you know, what's his health situation, and is he just a full go at this point, or or where full, is he? Full go. He feels great right now. He had an excellent first week, and uh, we've got to. Uh, make sure that he doesn't overdo it. That's that's the challenge right now. He's, he's a very eager, hard-working uh, player, and, and uh, you got to pull the reins back on him or he'll just, uh, you know, keep going until, you know, until whatever. And so, so uh, he's off to a good start, and uh, we hope to uh, keep him healthy throughout the full spring. That's something that's uh, going to be important for him. Hans Olsen from 97.5 and 12.8 of his own, followed by Patrick Kinahan. Coach, I wanted to get more of a feel of your running backs room. Uh, how are your transfers doing? How's the depth looking? Tell me who's standing out to you right now. Well, the two transfers, first of all, do an outstanding job. They both uh, adapted to our program and to what we're doing. And, and it was really an easy transition. I think I mentioned that last week where they've both got outstanding work habits. Uh, and have been very uh, diligent in, in preparation as far as studying the playbook, studying the film, and getting themselves ready so they could hit the ground running as, as spring ball began, and they did just that. And so between those two kids, and you know, Chris Curry and TJ Pledger, the two that we're talking about, and Mackay Bernard, those are the three guys that are really in the mix right now. And, of course, we'll uh, add uh, Ricky in the, in the fall, in the summer, actually. And uh, that'll be a, another good addition to the room. We'll go next to Patrick Kinahan, 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone, followed by Josh Furlong. When you made that change at receiver coach, did you zero in on this coach or was it open? It was open. We had a, we had a, uh, a list of uh, guys that we were uh, interested in and needed to uh, explore. And, uh, and Chad was one of those guys, obviously. And, and we were a little bit uh, on a time crunch with wanting to get the the, ideally getting the, uh, the position filled by spring ball and, and and even more ideally several days in front of spring ball if we could to get the coach up to speed. Uh, as I mentioned in the search, it was more important to get the right guy than uh, the timing of it, but, but certainly the timing was a factor. And uh, Chad's familiarity with the program and having been here certainly worked in his favor. We'll go next, Josh Furlong, followed by Cole Bagley. Hey, Kyle, obviously, uh, you know, you guys are known for, for a lot of your running backs and sending them to the league and getting everybody there. But what, what do you feel like you can do to maybe enhance the, the wide receiver position, especially with Chad Bumpus? And, and kind of what are you looking for in terms of, of production that way this year? Yeah, we need to be more balanced uh, than we were uh, you know, last year. And you go back a couple of years. In 19, we threw for over 3,000 yards, um, highest completion percentage in the conference highest yards per attempt in the league. 
uh, 18, the same thing as far as yardage over 3,000 yards. So we, it's not like we, we never throw the football. I mean, last year we were a little more uh, run-oriented than we, than we probably needed, uh, not that we needed to be, but as the season progressed, it became apparent that, that that was the best thing for us last year. But we've got to get back to being balanced and uh, the receiver room, we got some good players in there, but we know we, we took a hit and lost a couple guys, so we got to add <clears throat> at least one more, maybe two, uh, this this uh, later this spring or this summer uh, via the portal, most likely. And uh, it's going to be important that uh, you know we're able to throw the ball. It doesn't matter how good you are running back, and if you can't throw the ball to uh, get rid of some of those seven, eight, nine-man boxes, then then it's going to be tough sledding for you. Cole Bagley, Daily Utah Chronicle, followed by Trevor Allen. Coach, going back to uh, Covey, what's a guy like that? Uh, what kind of value does a guy like that bring to the program who's been with the team for so long? A ton of value in so many areas, not not just with his outstanding ability to play the slot receiver. And, and I think he's one of the best, if not the best return guys in the country, especially uh, punt return, but his leadership. And he's been there, done that. He knows the program inside and out. And uh, he's a guy that provides outstanding leadership, not only in the receiver room, but throughout the entire team. And <clears throat> very well respected by his teammates and uh, has uh, a lot of influence on this team. Of course, now he's, he's a captain. And so that uh, adds more to, you know, to that leadership role than he's had in the past. Just a quick follow-up. What are you looking for uh, from him this fall? Well, he's got to be uh, a big play guy for us. He's, he's a guy that needs to touch the ball, you know, a dozen times a game between uh, returns and receptions. And, you know, we need to get, get the ball in his hands. He's dynamic. And uh, he's just – he's got to be a, a big part of the offense, which we anticipate him being as long as he can continue to stay healthy. Next up, Trevor Allen. We we touched on you know the the two guys leaving, but were you were you surprised when when both Brian and and Samson decided to enter the portal? I guess nothing surprises you anymore with with the way college football is and is uh, going to get even more uh, transitional. I guess you could say it's uh, you know nothing really surprises you. You just uh, react and and uh, you know fill the void. Fortunately, with the with the portal, you can fill the void as easily as it. Uh, it occurs with with the incoming guys and so it's just the way that college football is now and will continue to be unless they change the rules we don't see that happening and so that's the way that uh, you can operate it's uh, free agency within college football and the way we look at it is is uh, your high school guys are your draftees and then your free agents are the, are the portal guys and you got to have both you got to be able to, to get a blend of, of both those uh, incoming players our final question will come from Josh Furlong. Okay, Kyle, obviously Solomon Enos has been kind of a high upside, upside guy. He, you know, he's, he's been able to show out on the field, but what, what do you feel like you guys can do to maybe tap into his talents a little bit more on the field, especially in the games? Or, or obviously he's been used in a lot of blocking schemes in different ways that way, but what do you feel like you can do to kind of maximize his potential? Well, I'd say the short version is try to get him the ball a little bit more, and I think that's something that uh, you're going to see going forward. Uh, Solomon, like you said, does have a, a high ceiling and, and a lot of uh, ability. And particularly, one of his strengths is the 50-50 ball. You know, just running the, running the nine route and throwing the ball up and letting him go up and get it. That's something that we probably need to do a little bit more of than we've done in the past. But, but uh, Solo is a hard worker, a team guy all the way. 
never complains, at least not to me, <laughs> and, and uh, is a, really a willing blocker, which is another thing we look for in wide receivers. And with that frame he has, he's 6'3 and about 210 pounds. He's, he's very physical on the outside in, in the block game. And so it's uh, just a matter of us trying to uh, get him more touches and, and get him more involved. Thank you. There's Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach. He never complains, PK. At least not to me. (laughs) That was was good. He caught himself there. I was like, never? I don't know if I've met anyone who never complains. At least not to me. I'm like, he knows how to pick his spots. That's critical. Solomon, check that box. Smart guy knows how to pick his spots. Yeah, you don't want to be complaining to the coach. <laughs> yeah, that's a plan B. Put a bad spot. Yeah, that was a funny little throw, a little clause you put in. <laughs> yeah, at least not to me. <laughs> uh, 12 touches for Britton Covey. That seems on the high end. Does that count punt returns? It does. He did say that. Yeah. He said including punt returns. Uh, but when you consider how many times the other team punts, you know, if you got 10 to 12 possessions in a game – how many times do they score? How many times do they turn the ball over or turn it over on downs or miss a field goal? You know, so it's four or five punts in a game. And how many of those are returnable? You know, well, so I think it has to be smart touches because, and I think that's where it's been the, the revolving door at quarterback has hurt a little bit with him because you can't put him over the middle where he's got somebody trailing him and a safety coming face first. <laughs> right, him. sandwich time. We saw that against Washington, and it was just, man, he was just getting battered in that game. <clears throat> in that game, I was back uh, in, I actually watched that game from a hotel room in Chicago because I had covered BYU's stunning upset against Wisconsin earlier in the day. And to see it on television just was just devastating how much uh, he was getting pounded. So get him the ball. Yeah, I'm all for it. But get him the ball in the right situations. Yeah, and the deep ball to Solomon Enos. We'll have to talk about that. But first, Chad Bumpus, the new receivers coach. We will start off today with Trevor Allen of kslsports.com, followed by Josh Furlong and Josh Newman. Go ahead, Trevor. Chad, first of all, welcome back to Utah. Um, and second, what, what stood out about the job when you were going through the process? Uh, first, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, good to be back. Um, and the people, that was the biggest thing for me. I, I was here as a graduate assistant in 18 and got to meet some of the people on staff in the facility, uh, just the people in Utah in general. Um, and I understood what kind of program it was, what kind of program I was coming back to, the way the guys work, uh, everything that's expected of the guys. And literally what I was used to, uh, same co- program basically from uh, what I had in college. So I was really familiar with it, uh, got to know some of the guys who were still here. So um, it was a no-brainer. It was exactly what I was looking for. Josh Furlong from KSL.com, followed by Josh Newman at the Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah, Chad, you're obviously uh, you know well versed in this the the personnel on the the roster scene that you were here a couple of years ago. But you know what what do you feel like you can you can provide to this team that that will help them maybe get more touches like Coach Whittingham has talked about, especially knowing that you've been in that position and, and you've got that experience. Yeah, just understand the fundamentals and technique right now. Um, we got a lot of guys. Uh, we got some guys who played a lot of ball, um, and we've got some young guys with some talent. So my deal is just get the most out of them, uh, help them understand where they can be successful, help understand which positions they they're, they're best at. Um, again, 
Coach, I think Coach Ludd does an awesome job of putting guys in positions to be successful and playing to the strengths of our offense. And uh, right now we're just trying to find those guys on the perimeter who, who we think going into fall camp can help us. Um, and we're doing a good job right now. They're working. They're doing everything I'm asking them to do. So it's just about continuing to grow every day and keep stacking days together. Next up, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, followed by Hans Olson. Chad, yeah, good morning. How are you? Great. How's it going? Doing well. Thank you. Um, what has the last four or six weeks been like for you? You know, you were at Austin P. You take the Central Michigan job. Uh, you know, the Utah job comes up. Um, ha- had you had you moved to Michigan before already before the Utah job came up? Yes, I was in Michigan for uh, 14 days. <laughs> uh, I had just gotten there, um, getting to know the players. And, um, and what's weird is, or I guess not weird, but funny for me is I had been in touch with Coach Witt. So um, just updating him on how my career was going, where I was, because I knew at some point I wanted to be back here. So I always stayed in touch with him. Um, and when I got the central job, we actually talked and he congratulated me, uh, just telling me stay in touch. And two weeks later, this job came open and um, I reached out to him. Uh, reached out to some of the guys on offense just to see what what he was looking for, which direction they if they had an idea of which direction it would go, um, and it worked out. Um, and so that Thursday I interviewed, and Saturday morning I was on a plane, so it, it worked out just like like I wanted basically. Just to follow that up, I mean, it sounds like it's been a chaotic time. I mean, can you maybe just kind of speak to that a little bit, just you know, in your personal life, just how chaotic it's been? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's exactly what you think. But luckily for me, uh, as blessed as I am, my wife, she is really good about this. She's been through it. Her dad's been a longtime college football coach. So uh, having somebody like that who understands it, um, she's actually still back in Nashville getting everything ready. So, um, but yeah, it's been wild. It's been a wild ride. Just uh, you don't expect it. I mean, I, I was getting settled in Michigan thinking I'm going to be here for a while. And bam, this opportunity happened and um, jumped on it. Next, we'll go to Hans Olsen, 97.5 and 12.8 of the zone. So you arrived to the office, Coach, and obviously you find that some really good talent has transferred out of the program. How unsettled was the wide receiver room? And how, how much have you had to try to calm down players and unify them and, and, and settle them down? How difficult has that job been? Uh, it hadn't been difficult at all. I mean, it, in this program, you know it's the next man up, and those guys see that as an opportunity to get on the field. Obviously, we have the Coveys in the room who, who's been very successful. You got Solo. Um, and we got some guys coming along. So um, there, um, that, there wasn't much stress. You know, they uh, again, they saw it as an opportunity to get on the field and make plays. So um, obviously, uh, we wish the best for those guys. But it's about the guys in the building right now, and they're excited, man. They get an opportunity to go out and show what they can do. And so far, we're making the most of those opportunities. So we just got to keep going, keep building, understanding what it is, what the situation is, um, and make plays. That's all it's about. Next, we'll go to Josh Furlong, KSL.com. And when you were hired, we, we heard a lot about how the players loved you. You were obviously a, a name that was familiar to them and, and that people liked you. What, what do you feel of is, is your coaching style that, that allows you to maybe connect to these players and, and kind of uh, you know, help them progress through whatever they're going through as college kids? 
Um, very energetic. That's that's the biggest thing for me uh, because I love this game so much. Um, being able to get out on the grass, on the turf, and just and coach and do what I love to do, bringing a lot of energy. And another thing is my youth. Um, I use that too as an advantage. I'm not far removed from what they're going through. So I, I'm very relatable to what they do and what they're seeing on campus, um, what they're feeling when they're waking up for these morning workouts. I was going through that a few years ago. So uh, like I tell them, come talk to me. There's nothing that you can say or do that's going to surprise me at this point. So very relatable, very energetic. And again, I use my youth to my advantage. I run around with them um, and, and try to have fun. You know what I mean? I'm going to coach them hard, but love them just as hard. And, and, and we're getting better. We're building those relationships and they're starting to trust me and see that I only want the best for them. Um, and so it, it's working out. We'll go back to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Chad, you mentioned the youth and not being so far removed, you know, from where these players are now. To that end, do you think that, you know, the NFL credentials that you bring can not only help in the room, but also with the high school kids that you may uh, that you may one day recruit? Absolutely. Uh, because, again, that's their goal, right? That's Everybody wants to play in the NFL. Um, I've seen the steps. I've had teammates. And, again, not just me. Other coaches have. But, um Again, talking to my youth, uh, I, I, it wasn't long ago when I was doing it. So um, just having those relationships, having contacts, uh, and again, under, playing the position, knowing what they're looking for, helping them understand that it is a business. And if you understand that before you get there, I think you last a little longer. So uh, all those areas I'm able to help, and I just try to do it as much as I can. Okay, you know, your questions for Coach Bumpus. One from Sammy Mora, Daily Utah Chronicle. Hi, Coach. Um, how important is it to have two guys like Britton Covey and Solomon Enos still in the wide receiver room that you know and know what they can do? Really, really important for me, huge for me, because, one, they understand my style of coaching. Um, so first time I was here, I was actually mostly inside with the uh, slot guy, so got to spend a lot of time with Covey, and that was uh, Solo's freshman year, so – um, him co him coming in and being in that room, they understood my coaching style, understood what I was about. And now um, that we've had uh, some time together, you get to see them help the younger guys. And so I've done individual meetings and everybody I've talked to, I ask them, who are the leaders in the room? And you get those two guys along with others, but those are the two main guys that jump out um, just because of how much they help the guys in the room. Under, uh, help them understand what I'm about, how I go about my, my, my coaching. Um, so it's been really big for me uh, because they help the room so much. Final question will come from Josh Furlong. Hey, you obviously mentioned Covey and Enos, but what, where, where do you see as your strengths in this, this wide receiver room and, and kind of where do you see them progressing? Um, I think we have a lot of guys who can help us. Um, and again, my job right now is to find out where they can help us the most, whether it's inside, whether it's outside, are you to the field, are you to the boundary? Um, and I think the biggest thing right now is it's an open playing field. I mean, you've got two guys really who've played a lot of football, but we're going to rotate guys. So everybody right now has an opportunity to show what they can do in spring ball uh, working through summer, working in the fall camp. So it's wide open. You know, you, you have guys who have waited a long time for a real opportunity to play. And right now, I don't know that you can ask for anything better, anything more. Um, you, have a, you have a real opportunity with a new coach, um, with some open spots. So all you have to do right now is buy into what we're selling and make plays. And you have the, you have the opportunity that you've been wanting. Thank you, Coach.
There is Chad Bumpus, the new receivers coach, and PK, the energy, the youthfulness, but that's hilarious. The last time I was here, Britton Covey was here. Well, of course he was. <laughs> Covey's, Covey's been here forever. <laughs> well, uh, you know, good for him playing up on the youth, but the, the thing that matters to mo- the most to me is how can he use that youth in recruiting? I, I can get a book and how to coach receivers. Uh, I need this guy to recruit to, to benefit that way if he wants to relate to these guys that's the most important relate through recruiting to bring in more talent that's what's needed dj and pk will take a break Britton covey's coming up nick ford as well steve cleveland our basketball insider talking march madness at nine o'clock on 97.5 at 1280 the zone now let's get this party started this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Kalani Sataki, head coach of BYU. We have four quarterbacks that are definitely you know up there in the running, and we're going to have to narrow this down a little bit because there's just not enough reps to go around. But right now, Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, Jacob Conover, and Soljay Mayava, those guys are the front runners, and they're having great days. And you know, the whole part about spring and even getting into being a coach, you, you want to develop depth. When you get depth and you have four quarterbacks that are battling for starting time, that's a good position to be in. There's a lot of great players here that are in the mix and then that's the whole part of trying to develop your team and your program is that you want to get as deep as possible so it makes everyone have to raise their level of play and then you just play the best guys we're seeing some great competition right now and especially at the quarterback position Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davismd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Britton Covey sitting down at the microphone. Utes meeting with the media. Spring football underway. Britton Covey, longtime slot receiver for the Utes. Here he is. Sports followed by Josh Furlong with KSL. Morning, Solo. Good morning, Britton. How are you? Morning. I'm doing good. So you've you haven't had to go through much actually a, a change at all in, in the wide receiver room other than you know in your in your second year. But um, what has that move been like from Guy Holiday to Chad Bumpus? Oh, I mean, first thing is uh, I think all of the guys that were here with Coach Bumpus uh, in 2018 when he was a graduate assistant. Uh, recommended him. So I'd say there were about five or six guys in the room that were around him when he was there. And when Coach Witt asked us about him, all of us uh, gave the highest recommendations. So it's been nice to have someone that you know while also having a fresh new face that brings fire to the room. Uh, We really respect him, partly because he, you go watch his highlights. I mean, he's, he's walked the walk and he is very practical. Uh, he reminds me a lot of my first receivers coach, 2015, Coach Stubblefield, in terms of his technicality of things. Very good with footwork, very good with hands, um, very technical. And I think that, that that's kind of what I live for. I love that, that aspect of the, of the game and of receiver play. So 
Uh, and then he's just hilarious. I mean, he's young enough too, where he can go out there and show you himself what, <laughs> what he wants you to do. So it's, it's, it's been great. Uh, but at the same time, we really appreciate coach holiday. I love coach holiday. Um, and all the receivers, we, you know, one great thing that I'll say about coach holiday is he cares about us as men, not just as football players. And, uh, we'll never forget that. And, uh, we just hope that he knows that and we've, we've talked to him about it. So, but we are grateful to have coach bump too. Next question will come from Josh Furlong, followed by Josh Newman with the Salt Lake Tribune. Britton, welcome to your 10th spring football camp. Ah, thank you. <laughs> now you, you mentioned uh, that, that uh, you know, there's a lot of guys in, in the wide receiver room that, that recommended him. How, how much, how much involvement um, do the, does the coaching staff have when, when trying to hire a new coach and then, and where do you feel like you guys can maybe progress under, under coach Bumpus? Yeah, well, I think that coach Witt did it well. Uh, I've been here, like you said, about 35 years and I've seen some coaching changes in my time. And every time Coach Witt says the same thing, that we're not in a rush to fill the position because we'd rather get the right guy than just a guy. And so in that time, he does ask, I'm sure the coaches, but he does come and ask my opinion. He does come and ask the other receivers' opinions in the room. And so I think that that means a lot. And, you know, not, not worrying about a timetable as much. It's a good thing we got him quick because it's been great to have him for spring ball, but we got the right guy. I know we did. I can't, I really can't tell you how excited we are as a receiving core for this year because coach bump brings that fire into the room. Um, and then the next question was, what was, I'm so sorry. What, Josh, it was just what? more, what, what do you feel like, you know, he can bring to, to the table that will help oh, him yeah. progress? Well, it's similar to what I said before uh so he was a great slot receiver um he has he, he's so technical i've always felt that and maybe i'm biased because i'm like four foot tall but uh i've always thought that short guys make great wide receivers coaches because they could never rely on all these crazy gifts or athleticism to be great players you got to rely on a lot of the technical side of things and so when you get someone who has that athleticism or height, you know, someone like Solomon Enos or Devon Bailey, and you can teach them that side of things, the technical side, that they're way better than anyone without those could ever be. They, they exceed at everyone's expectations, including their own. And I think that that's what he brings to the table that I'm really excited for. Next question comes from Josh Newman, followed by Alex Markham. Great. Good morning. Morning. Um, I know that we goof around about your age and things like that, but, you know, but given your age and, and given how long you've been in school, was there any consideration this off season to maybe bypassing the rest of, of your eligibility and taking a shot at the NFL? Not really. Uh, mostly because I only got to play in, you know, three games last year. Had I had a whole season, I think that might have been a consideration, but uh, never really crossed my mind with everything that went down last year. I, I've been wanting to have another full season with the guys for two years now, and uh, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, including going to the NFL, and so I'm glad that everybody stayed, and, and uh, I don't want to live with my mind focused on the NFL because then you 
miss out on so much of the joy that comes from, you know, college. And I think that that, I actually think that that happens a lot in college football nowadays. Uh, I'll, I'll hear freshmen uh, coming in, talking about leaving after three years. And uh, always the first thing I say to them is, you know, you don't think about the NFL right now. Don't even worry about that. I mean, I, I could go through countless examples of guys who, you know, didn't do it the typical way. I mean, Terrell Burgess, you know, didn't, he started his fourth year, senior year, and, and now he's doing great. And so I think too many guys worry about the NFL right now during their college career. Um, but no, I didn't really cross my mind last year. Just to follow that up, um, with Chad Bumpus, two things. One, how, how beneficial is it to have a young guy who isn't that far removed from his playing career? And two, having a guy who, you know, has some pro experience, someone like that for you to lean on, knowing that that is your ultimate goal. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said before, Coach Bumpus has, has this fire in him. He's not far removed from the game. He understands a lot of the new things that the game has developed in the past 10 years, you know, just from, you know, this, how the spread offense has evolved to things like RPOs and, and such. And so he's got a good understanding of what we're trying to do. Uh, and honestly, he's just the most competitive person you'll ever meet. You'll lose a rep in, in a practice and one-on-ones, and he'll go running after you down to the five-yard line, throw his hat on the ground, and start jumping up and down. So he's really competitive, and, and that is what brings that fire into things. Uh, I think there are times, if we're not having a good day, that he gets so frustrated that he wants to put the cleats on and go out there and hit someone. So... It's it's pretty fun to have someone who, you know, still fired up and probably thinks he could beat half of the room still. I think that's what it brings to the table. Final three questions for Britain will come from Alex Markham, Cole Bagley, and Bill Riley. Britain, man, first off, you're you're not you're not old man. Wasn't it just yesterday that I was interviewing you out at uh, out at Tempview, huh? Yeah, no. That was a couple it feels weeks. like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but uh hey man so you know you, you talk about uh Bumpus being new and everything but a lot of experience obviously you've got a lot of experience as well and and you're really vital to that room so um what is it that you're kind of taking on with more of a leadership role um in that room with the guys and and maybe even especially during that time when there was that little bit of a gap between Holiday and, and Bumpus I'm, I'm sure that you were pretty much taking the lead there yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like I've grown a lot as a player and as a teammate in my time here. Uh, and I think I've always tried to be the type of leader on the team that, uh, you know, I am vocal in front of the group, but more so I try to be more of a one-on-one -on -one type person so that if anyone has any issues one-on-one -on -one or if anyone's struggling, they know that they can come to me privately uh, because I'll, I'll, you know, give them that, the benefit of the doubt. I'll, I'll give them that, uh, just, I don't know, ear to listen to. And, uh, I've just always tried to be that type of person. And so in that time, I just tried to make sure that everybody was all right. Uh, I don't, as simple as that. I think that leadership can be expressed in many different ways. And, uh, the older I get, the more I realize how personal it needs to be for it to be genuine and authentic. 
and for people to really respect you. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if I've been the perfect leader for the group in that transition, but uh, I don't think I needed to be because we've got other guys. We've got Solo, Slavens, um, JD's back, which is great. We've got T-Boney, who actually has been here longer than I have, Tyrone Smith. So it, we've got a great group of guys, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, but it is it is really cool to be an older guy in the team. It's It's strange. Every other year in my career, I felt like this was the older guy's team. And this is probably the first year where I come in and, and I see, you know, someone doing something that, you know, maybe is not in youth culture. And I'm the one that's like, no, this is, this is my team. Like, we, we don't act like that here. You know, this is, this is our team. And uh, it's really cool to feel like that, to feel like an older guy. Excellent. Also, just a, a quick follow-up. How uh, how nice is it having JD back in the room, man? Oh, it's so great having JD back. I love JD. We're, we're the two Smurfs, me and JD. Uh, we used to have a package in 2018 called Smurf Package because we're so short. And we were both on the field at the same time. But JD brings so many things to the room that, including just a, a happiness, a goofiness that I think we missed. Next question will come from Cole Bagley. I'll save you another age joke, uh, but you've dealt with some tough injuries in your time here at the U. What was it like to come back from those injuries and, and perform at such a high level, even though it was such a shortened season? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was more of a mental struggle than a physical struggle, honestly, because uh, what, ha- what would happen is I'd get back from certain injuries and then in practice, I'd re-injure them and then I'd get back and then I'd re-injure them in practice. And it got to the point where, you know, you know, you never want, nothing's worse than when people call you injury prone. It's like a dig in your side and you, and you don't want to be that type of person, but there are some times that some things that you can't control. And so, uh, it was a mental, a mentally exhausting grind the last couple of years. Uh, but then I kind of took matters into my own hands and for the last you know, three months, I've been going to a personal trainer every single day on my own, uh, just working on everything that my body has struggled with over the last two years. A lot of these soft tissue things, things that came as a result of my knee, a couple hamstring things. And, and so I am stronger than I've ever been. I'm faster. And I believe that I'm less susceptible to injury because of what I've tried to do on my own. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to keep that going. I think if I have another four or five months of that every single day on my own before the season, I'll be okay. And just a, a quick follow-up. Um, with, with a full season ahead of you now, what are you looking forward to the most this fall? I am looking forward to – gosh, man. I just I, – I have a similar feel – this year as to what I did before 2019 is it in 19 or 18 it was Snoop Tyler Huntley's last year with the team with the group of guys um with returning starters with the opportunity to do something special uh I have a similar feeling and I think we're going to have a great year as a team that really is my the thing that excites me most final question will come from Bill Riley Morning, Britt. Morning, Bill. How's it going? 
It's going well. Um, not an age joke, but having been around a little while, you've also seen a fair share of quarterbacks. And, and I'm curious, you've seen guys that were all pretty experienced. But Charlie Brewer comes in with four years of starting under his belt at a pretty high level. And you've got some young kids in the program this spring as well. I'm just curious, in the limited time you've been able to throw with him and, and, and be around him, uh, what, what stands out about Charlie? And uh, can, can, it, can you tell that he's played a little bit of football? You can definitely tell that Charlie's played a lot of football. He's got that confidence. Charlie's great. Uh, I'm excited for fans to get to know him because uh, I think I'm doing a podcast with him later this week, actually. He's got, I, I'm not, it's not a shy personality, but he's more reserved. But then you get to know him and he's just, he's hilarious. I love Charlie. I'd say the two things that stood out to me most about Charlie since playing with him is one, his his movement in the pocket. Uh, I haven't seen a quarterback able to move like that in a while. Just his, he steps up in the pocket. He slides left, slides right, keeps his eyes downfield. You could tell he's got a lot of experience. Uh, it's, it's like he's got another set of eyes in the pocket, uh, knowing where to move. And I've, I've thought that's amazing. And the second thing is his release. He's got an extremely fast and quick release, uh, which helps him get it into tight windows because he's not very tall. Um, so I know as a quarterback, you know, in high school, I had a hard time receiving over my line and they were like six foot. Now these guys are six, five on the offensive line. And so having a quick release to see it in these windows, these gaps is really important. And those are the two things that have stood out to me the most. All right. Thank you, Britton. All right, there is Britton Covey dropping a little knowledge at the end of his media availability live right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So we definitely saw the shy side of Brewer because he gave some very short answers in his media availability last Monday. And there is, uh, well, <clears throat> I guess the stuff about uh, how how funny he is and how outgoing he is once you get to know him, that's one thing. But the knowledge of how he finds space in the pocket and how as a smaller guy he still pushes the ball downfield despite the fact those linemen are huge, that's the stuff. And Covey sounded pretty impressed with him. I know it's spring football, though, and everyone's supposed to sound impressed, PK. Yeah, he expects to have a great season. So, I mean, I'm a little skeptical until I actually see it and get out on the field. I mean, this time last year, we're talking about the other kid, Bentley. He's got 33 starts in the SEC. Oh, my gosh. The SEC, that, that's akin to the uh, NFC West, isn't it? Holy cow. And let's face it, he kid wasn't good enough, right? So I don't know necessarily that's going to be the case here. But, yeah, right now there's a ton of optimism. There's a ton of optimism everywhere across the country in spring ball, as there should be. I think the difference in the two quarterbacks is that if you go back and look at the record in the SEC, you know, there's definitely four or five teams that have pulled away, and Bentley's record against them was not good. I, I, want to look, I have to look it up. I think it was 2-8 and eight or 2-9 and nine or something like that. And then I think he won 65%-ish of his games against the, the other two-thirds of the league. Whereas here, we're seeing a quarterback who has had his team in the upper reaches of the league, been to the Sugar Bowl and all that. So I think there's been more winning, and there's been more winning against better teams. Whether that'll translate or not still remains to be seen, but I, I got to admit I'm slightly encouraged by that. Okay, fine. Be slightly encouraged by it. Be way encouraged by it. Be <laughs> as, as encouraged by it as you want to be. It's up it to will you. still be what it will be when we get out there in uh, in the fall. 
yeah, I'm going to reserve judgment until I actually see it. And that's all nice, and it looks good, and I can understand why the Utes would want him, all that. I buy all that. Uh, but what what is he going to do here? I'm encouraged by it. I think it's promising, but I don't know. The curious thing that I thought from Kyle Whittingham that was a little out of character for Kyle, but I think most Ute fans would think refreshingly so, is when he talked about Solomon Enos, what can he do? Well, you know, go up and win the jump ball, you know, Throw the ball downfield and let him go win a 50-50 ball. There hasn't been enough of that, the winning of 50-50 balls, regardless of the type of route, from the Utes. I got my doubts about whether Kyle really wants to see that. He says he wants to see it in the spring. I can already hear you. I can already hear you like, are they really going to chuck it deep and let a receiver go get it? Is that really going to happen? And Kyle says, eh, maybe we need to do a little more of that. Are they, they talking him into it? Are they really going to be able to talk him into it in the middle of a tight conference game? Yeah, that's like reading a book on being a parent. And, you know, you think that, okay, this situation arises. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But you don't know until you're in that situation. And that 50-50 ball means there's a decent percentage it's going to be intercepted. And Kyle's having none of that. <laughs> And what's the uh, – he goes to the score, obviously, it dictates who wins or loses, but then he goes to the turnovers Absolutely. and the turnover margin. Yeah. So that's another thing that I have less faith on that – and I'm not a man of faith. Uh, my faith is long since gone. But I just don't know that I believe it. You, you sound good, but chucking the ball uh, up in the air when you're not sure – I mean, he barely likes to throw it when he's sure. Now you're asking him to throw it when he's not sure? <laughs> it comes down to a quarterback. Do you think that – do you trust them to make a play and that the the payoff is much bigger than the risk? And largely the answer has been no. Now, do they have a different level of talent at quarterback where Kyle's going to think, all right, we can push the envelope a little more because I think this guy is going to make – Make a big play for us four times out of five, and I'll I'll stomach the one time. Okay, yeah, great. As opposed to it really is 50-50. You know, do you take a chance? Because it's not a 50-50 chance. It's a 70-30. Does Kyle buy off on that? So everybody who's like, that sounds great. It did sound great, but there is that question. Is it going to sound great? Like you say, in the middle when, assuming we have crowds back, the crowd is roaring and the tension is high, is Kyle going to think, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go for it. Throw it deep. Tear it out. Let's, let, let's, see it. let's get out there in the second half and let it rip. Is he really going to think that? I remain skeptical. Yeah, I get why. And then how about Britton Covey saying, uh, what I remember from back in 2015, holy cow, <laughs> two years for a mission, one year for a red shirt after an ACL, a bonus year for a pandemic, the longest college career ever. Ah, oh, good. Let him have it. Well, he did say that, you know, enjoy what is here now because there's no telling what it'll be like when you get to the pros. You know, you might only be there for a few weeks for a summer camp. How will that work out? So enjoy this now. And he's had the advantage of seeing enough guys going. And some guys have made it and other guys haven't. So he's probably got a, uh, a better sense of that as he's seen guys move on. And obviously he's seen more guys move on than, uh, than most college players because he's been there longer. Uh-huh. All right, DJ and PK, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, coming up in 15 minutes. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. I'll give you two choices. Talk Jazz fans off the ledge or tell them to go ahead and jump. No, uh, talk off the ledge. I looked at the last eight games just as a quick reference point. The good news is the Jazz's offensive rating is still top 10. Their defense is just taking a big dive. And defense being so much about your energy level and consistency and backing each other up, that's the kind of thing where if you are dragging a little bit, a little bit of defensive wane can hurt you really quickly in this league. And as good as their offense has been, it's not enough to overcome. So a little bit of slippage on the defensive side is going to hurt them even more because they don't have a ton of offensive weapons. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Man looking for room, step back three for the wing, around it off, no good. Fight for the rebound underneath. Lewis has it, turns, fires a three from the right corner. That's an air ball. Rebound tip, still loose inside. It's over, it's over. Oral Roberts wins. Oral Roberts is going to the Sweet 16. 81 78, the final score. The 15 seed is among the final 16 remaining. All right, there's the Chevy Strong play of the game. Oral Roberts holding off the Florida Gators, who had two chances to tie in the final 10 seconds. The threes didn't fall, so Florida does. And Oral Roberts is on to the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed. Only the second time that has happened, but they are there. That's the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 450, and you can win fabulous prizes on the big show. All right, PK. Question of the day. Uh, BYU out in the first round of the NCAA tournament. We have seen this before. They haven't been to the round of 32 since Jimmer. He took them there twice. Those are the only two times they've been there since 1993. It's 28 years. So, takeaways from this season. We talked a lot earlier this morning, if you weren't with us in the 7 o'clock hour, about Mark Pope's going to do it a new way. He doesn't have nearly as many return missionaries. He has way more transfers. And is that going to get him through? Because the old way didn't work. Now, you know, is the, is the new way going to work? Are transfers going to be the way to go? Because i got to say, I feel a little bit like the transfers, it feels a little bit like the one-and-dones. You know, do you really have time to build a program and all of that? Now, you're getting talent you didn't get, and don't pass on talent. So... It's easy for us to sit here and sing and guess. As you like to point out, that's literally what we're paid to do. Wait for a game to happen, then talk about it. That's sang and guessing. So if I can first guess going forward, and I know it's easier for me to say than it is for them to do, but doesn't there have to be some blending of the talented guys the Cougars have come through because they have had talented players come through or they wouldn't have had all these NCAA teams. Blending it with the transfers that come through to fill in those gaps that are often created by missions where teams come, they have a year together, and you want guys to have another year together for this younger guy to kind of um, really get it and get the experience. But by then the other guy is gone, and it never quite clicks. And so how do you use the transfers to fill that in? Because I do think if you go all in on the transfers – are you going to run into the same problems that the one-and-done schools tend to run into? So somewhere there's got to be a blend where you're still getting the guys that you get, but you're losing some of the big-sky talented guys and just getting the better guys. Okay. But I'm asking think- for a pretty narrow well, window here. I get that. But if they're going to go round of 32, Sweet 16, I feel like that's probably what they're going to have to do. 
Well, the other way hasn't worked. No, you so can't stay you locked keep... down. You can't stay locked down on the other way because the other way has been tested for decades. Yeah, and what you get, these return missionaries, uh, they come back and they're not as good. They show promise and then they come back and they get married and they're pulled in other directions. And we've seen, I don't want to name names because it's not fair to the kid, but the kid comes back and he comes back. It's a familiar story. He comes back a man. And then, as I understand it, the, the mission president interview Basically, they tell you to get married as soon as you can. <laughs> Y'all can speak to that uh, better than I could. But I've had stories of guys, their parents have told me about their sons. You know, they want them to start dating within two weeks. These are now, I don't know this. I've never gone on a mission. I've never have had a mission interview and any of that stuff. But all I know is what the community has told me. And I've been around long enough that the community has told me five billion things. I mean, I got guys telling me stuff this morning of what we're talking about, I'm getting messages on from people in who do this for a living in sports and are listening, and they're texting me stuff. So, I mean, I get told stuff all the time, and that just doesn't lead to basketball success. They realize, yeah, I'm not going to play any NBA here. <laughs> so it takes a hit, and then they don't develop the way, the way you thought they were. The stories are endless on those. So Mark Pope... It really, I don't know that he has any choice. He wants to win. He wants to do things that have never been done at BYU. Well, he. how many basketball coaches have they had? Because that's how many coaches have said they want to do. I remember Dave Rose, when he was hired back in well, 2004, he's, he talked about the Final Four and, uh, and the Cougar Club room in the stadium, and he had me so fired up. Well, he got close. You know, the suspension of Davies really hindered them. I think they would have made it at that point. And that was something that, you know, BYU, I'm not sure, outside of Danny Ainge, that they had dreamed of doing. Uh, so Pope dreams of doing this. And why shouldn't you dream? Why You, you have to see it in order to conceive it to, to actually have it have happen for sure. So go this route. And if you get stuck in that deal, you get stuck in that deal. But it's worth a shot. Because if it doesn't work, you can go back and... And you can go and get beat in the first round. That's sort of like winning the Mountain West and going to the Vegas Bowl and losing or winning and whatnot. And it's you've already been, you've already done that, right? You've done that. And BYU football fans want more than that. Everybody wants more. Whatever you got, you want more. So I think Pope's the right guy, and he's got the enthusiasm. So let's see if he can get it done. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We will run all of this past Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision is giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, it's not a good morning if you root for Utah State or BYU because it felt like opportunity, and it felt like opportunity lost. Opportunity got away, and for BYU, you know, there have been times, and we went into this with you last week, where with the seeding you thought this is going to be an uphill struggle. But, man, watching UCLA 
they're good, and I want to give them credit for being coached up and being smart and playing hard and making shots, and they got toughness, but I don't feel like they have like the high-end talent that just causes massive mismatches. I don't feel like they got the NBA guys that would give them separation. Credit them for finding a way to get the win, but I think that's what really makes it feel like opportunity lost. I don't feel like BYU is outclassed. I just feel like they were beaten. Yeah, you know, the thing about you, you guys have been around. Nick Cronin teams, I mean, they're not just prepared, but there's usually an element of toughness. And I, and I felt like this BYU team all year has had toughness and togetherness and had the things you need to be successful. But, you know, watching that game, I agree with you. I mean, there weren't a lot of guys just going out and making plays and had, uh, like you said, NBA-type talent. But they were really disruptive defensively. And any time you can switch – uh, basically uh, two through five. Uh, and BYU has a very aggressive offense. I mean, there, there are a lot of ball screens. There's a lot of penet- dribble penetration. It's an attacking north-south offense. And, and for the most part, USC just took them completely out of it. And you, 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 the only thing you can look at the evidence, and when you go three, a good shooting team goes three for 17 from the three. It means they're contested. They never got three open looks. They're never and one or another and one where – you know, a pass is made and they're wide open. BYU was never, hardly ever, wide open. And I, this game was won at the defensive end for USC. I mean, they just imposed their will. They were um, obviously more athletic. They were long. And the ability to switch everything uh, didn't allow BYU to get in those seams like they do, especially Barcello, who's really adept at turning corners on screens and penetrating north-south, finding guys, and then they find somebody else wide open. So my just watching that game, and, and, and I seldom during my, in the last few years will I watch an entire game. And I get to the tournament games in the NC2A, I'll, I'll watch the entire game. But usually I'll just tape it and watch it in 20 or 30 minutes. But it jumped out at me really clearly that, yeah, BYU went three for 17 from the three, but UCLA had a whole lot to do with that. And uh, so we, we can talk about, UCLA not being a team that uh, probably has uh, draftable-type guys at this point in time. But as a unit, they were solid, and they were driven. And I think, to be honest with you, the advantage they had is they'd played a game. And if there was any doubt in this team, beating Michigan State when they were down big, come back and win in overtime, they came into that game with a lot of confidence, a little more relaxed attitude, this is BYU's first opportunity. I mean, none of those kids are really, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I'm not sure that any of those kids had ever played in an NC2 week. Maybe Barcello did at Arizona, but didn't play. Arms did. Arms probably, Arms probably did play a little bit. Yeah. But for the most part, most of them had ever been in that environment, and there is an adjustment. And uh, so I agree with you that this wasn't uh, a team talented that it has a bunch of NBA draft picks, but collectively as a group, UCLA – was really, really good defensively and imposed their will. And anytime you can hold a team like that, like BYU, who did shoot 49% from the field goal, but they live and die on that three. They need that three. That, that's the difference maker for them. And when, when a BYU team only has five assists, when on a regular basis they'll have 15 or 20, tells you that uh, there wasn't any separation. I mean, they couldn't get separation so that it, it, they needed help. Because that's how, that's how you create assists. You, you dribble penetrate, they help, you kick, you kick one more time, feet squared, you knock a shot down. 
that wasn't happening. So as I look at Mark Pope, the job that he's done and what he's going to do go forward, it's clear to me that, you know, related to what you did when you took over a program that was in shambles and got it to winning titles in only four years, you two two-pronged deal. You had transfers that were junior college kids and then mixed in and blended in with the traditional recruiting base of BYU, and we know what that is. Uh, Pope, it looks like, he is putting more emphasis on the transfers. Now, they are four-year transfers. By four-year, I mean going to four-year as opposed to junior college, although he does have the one junior college kid coming in or on the program with George, obviously. And I'm trying to figure out how successful he can do that going forward to get BYU to have success in the tournament because there's been three coaches now, even four going back to Roger Reed, and that's as far as I go back, as far as have had success getting to the NCAA tournament. Put him in there, and obviously you and Dave did that too. But everybody wants more. And and I look at it, I'm trying to gauge, is it tougher or easier now? And I'm going back and forth because you guys, especially for you and then Dave earlier, when you were in the Mountain West, I mean, that was a really good basketball conference. And when BYU and Utah came to town, it was a big, big deal. So kids were excited about that. You don't get that as much in the West Coast conference Gonzaga obviously and to an extent St. Mary's and then you got a bunch of sort of just kind of programs that are existing so my thought for you going forward do you believe that this is the way Mark Pope has to do it at a higher level in order to get the program to have success in the NCAs or can they rely more on the traditional BYU recruiting base well I I think I mean, if, if if I were there today, and 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 the mark has been amazing in terms of what he's done and putting this together in two years, and and when you have a comp- almost an entirely completely different lineup from year one to year two, uh, I think you need to do both. Uh, I I think that Mark is going to find. The, the, I mean, I, you know, the difference for me and and when I was there, in my experience was that none of the, none of the there weren't any BYU guys coming. You know, I mean, they were going to Utah. They were going to Utah State. The, the best members of the church were not coming to BYU for a few years. And so, like you said, we were kind of forced our hand to look at junior college guys or transfers or whatever that might have been. Uh, that's not the case today. Uh, I, I think uh, members of the church are going to want to come to BYU. There, there is facilities galore. There's a great coaching staff that has rapport with kids. There's chemistry and culture there. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit different that I think they can get those guys, and I think they need to continue to get those guys. And, and not very often are guys leaving early from BYU. That's not the type of student-athlete they're recruiting. And they don't have access to those types of guys, but they have access to really good players. And occasionally you're going to have a guy that gets drafted and maybe leaves early. That's happened a little bit as of late. But I, I think the thing about the transfer rule, which is so unique, is that, first of all, this coming year, you guys think that they've allowed you to come in and don't have to share. And so you can fix issues. You can A kid that transfers is not happy. Somebody gets hurt. Whatever the circumstances are, you can take full advantage of that. And Mark has the relationships. that It's a high-energized staff. They're going to connect with young people today. Uh, you, you just have to watch some video of the Gonzaga game and different home games when they had fans. And Young people are going to come there. They're going to be impressed whether they're members of the church or not. So it's a destination. The facilities, the practice facility, the fan base, they pretty much have it all in terms of those types of things. Yes, there are some restrictions. 
They can't just bring anybody into this school. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I think they have to have a balance. There's no way you don't take advantage of that because it's going to be what gets you back in. I mean, honestly, I don't think most people thought coming into this thing that BYU probably was going to be an NC2A team. There were a lot of question marks when you have a completely new team, the, the unknowns. And, and somehow, some way, by getting three, I mean, Barcello had been there, but Everett, I mean, he had a huge impact on this thing and harms the presence at the rim and the things that he did there getting Loner to come in, who will be a long-term guy who is a member of the church. And then, but other guys like, you know, Nell and Johnson, they got good play out of people that none of us have ever heard of before. And so it's one of those things. I thought they did a wonderful job going forward. I think you continue to do the same. The more people you can get into the program for four years, you're right. You have that continuity. You have that confidence. The culture of the program is consistent. And guys get better. That's what happens with most of the coaches that have coached at BYU is they'll get a kid and get a young man that comes, he goes on a mission, comes back, and all of a sudden, you know, no one knows who he is. And by the time he's a junior, where'd this guy come from? That's the benefit of being able to do both. He, he can not only develop players, young players, that possibly serve missions early, come back, and he has an opportunity to, to kind of look around and see what's out there and what he needs and I'm sure they're doing that uh, at this very moment. And that's how quickly your mind changes. Is that we, we've got to get this. We've got to be better here. We know what our weaknesses are. I haven't heard anything about, I think Harms isn't coming back, but I know any of these seniors could come back. And if, if that happens, that, that changes the dynamics of it too. So I don't know if you were a brand-new coach that you could ever go into a situation that was better, where you could fix when you have attrition in a program and then you can immediately fix it by getting out and beating the streets down and finding guys that can play. So you, you never know when those times happen or when guys you recruit, aren't they don't turn out. I mean, they just don't live up to expectations, and you need to make changes. In today's world, the NC2A, you can fix mistakes that coaches sometimes make or that players make. And so I, I think it has – you know, Pat, I just think it has to be both. And, and I think that's the world we live in. It would be foolish to go away from transfers – and just try to sustain it with uh, LDS kids or kids that feel comfortable and feel like they're a good fit. So for me, speaking for me, man, I I would love that. I would love the opportunity to go out and find a nugget or two every year knowing that, hey, somebody broke their leg, somebody transferred, somebody went on a mission. You can fix those problems way quicker today than you could 20 years ago. So do you think there's a risk in having too many transfers that you start getting some of the same issues that these high-end schools have with the one-and-done kids? Oh, yeah, you could. You could. I mean, you know, I, 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 there's no question. It, it, you, I think the balance is the key. And I, I think if you, but every year you're probably going to have two, three, four. And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, a, a situation where you transfers and junior college-type transfers. But, yeah, you're right. The guys that have one year and – one of, they, they're ready to go, they've graduated, or now with the new rules, you, can, it's, you don't even have to sit out. I think, yeah, you do have to find a balance. You have to be careful, and you certainly have to be careful with character things. And, you know, like the, NC, the NBA is, is really good at uh, doing their homework in terms of character and type of person and how they'll fit in. And I think there's, there has to be a real significant emphasis on making sure you have the right type of guy transfer-wise, coming into your program that won't be disruptive, that uh, is not going to be a problem down the road. So, 
yeah, you could potentially have problems if you don't, uh, you don't have an attention to detail in terms of your preparation, in terms of who you recruit, and especially when you're recruiting through the transfer portal. So since the last time we spoke to you, there is an opening now at the University of Utah. How good of a job is that? It's a good job. I mean, you benefit from just an amazing community support-wise. You're in an NBA city. Uh, you, you have culture. You have everything that you, you a young man would want. You're in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, there are a lot of benefits. They have a great history there and a great fan base that hasn't been there lately, recently, and that, that happens when you're not winning. But I think it's a great job. And uh, I think I, I haven't heard a lot about who the candidates are or if anything's even been said. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's, again, it's a, it's a unique situation because you are going to deal with LDS young men in, in that program that are going to go on missions. You have a degree of that. Uh, you have the ability to, I mean, they've established relationships in Europe and around the world, uh, which is you can do that at the University of Utah. Uh, I think that <clears throat> you can find whatever you want to find in terms of types of players, in terms of uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a public school. It, it's not nearly as restrictive as BYU might be. So I think it's a great job. And I, I think, you know, Larry did some great things there. I mean, it, it, it did the, the recruiting and uh, some disgruntled young people, you know, it got away from them. But at the end of the day, those first few years were magical. I mean, they had great teams, and and obviously there there have been coaches there, and and none you know more important probably than Rick Majerus who turned that thing and just uh, they were doing special things. But all the coaches have been there have had years where they had success. Uh, they just need somebody to come in there and sustain it. And uh, I, I'm not sure I know a lot about who who's applied for that or who's in it, but that's a job that. If you're in a mid-major or you're in a high-major, you're an assistant, I mean, that, that's a job you want. I, I just think they've got everything there. And, and uh, I don't know a lot about the athletic program and the athletic director. I've not met them. But it just seems like things are in place for that to be good. And uh, time for a change, time to move on. I hope Larry stays in the game uh, because he's got a great mind and he's got a good heart. And so I hope, I hope the best for him. But uh, that, this, that, that is a really, really good job. So how hot do you think Craig Smith is right now? Minnesota, everybody's looking at that because he coached in South Dakota. He's from Minnesota. I mean, he's got the ties to that state and that part of the country. And he's got three straight NCAA tournaments. So how hot do you think he is? And how much would people want the Aggie job? If well, it comes over? I, I think, first of all, yes, he is a hot commodity. <clears throat> Deservedly so. He's done a great job there. And uh, wherever he goes, he's going to be successful. He, he, he's not only a good coach, but he's a great organizer. He's an administrator. He can communicate with his players. He gets guys to play hard. I mean, I, I don't know, Craig, but, but uh, I watched probably six, seven, eight of his games. I watched them play here in Fresno one year, a couple of years back when they played Fresno State. Just watched him, watched his team. He gets it, you know, and uh, if he stays at Utah State, he'll – He'll uh, do the things that Stu Morrill did for so many years. You know, great coach, Coach Morrill. Uh, but I, I could see him leaving. And, and, and obviously, I'm not sure that Utah State is going to be able to pay him 
uh, what uh, some of these other schools are going to pay, and there's Midwest ties. So it wouldn't surprise me at all that if he leaves. He's done a great job. He's done everything for that community. And uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if he does leave. I, I don't know him well enough to know or speculate where he might go, but all the things you just mentioned are probably uh, things that he's got heavily on his mind, and uh, there could be a move in his plans. Who knows? I, I love Utah State. Great fan base. Uh, you can bring young people in from everywhere. Again, you benefit from uh, a solid LDS core group. Uh, it's a state that has good basketball. It's not great basketball. It's got good basketball and good good coaching there, great coaching in Utah. So uh, whether he stays or leaves, he, he's always going to be in a good situation. He's lost some pretty good kids the last couple of years. But I love what he's doing, and it's fun to watch his teams play. Uh, I think both are really good jobs. So uh, they'll be highly sought after. There'll be a lot of people applying for them. So you talk about money, and you know money matters. Let's not kid ourselves, and it's important to everyone. It just it just is. There's no other way around it. And you talk about how uh, Craig Smith might receive offers that will include more money, and maybe if Mark Pope has success, no doubt in my mind that he would get that opportunity possibly to get more money. What should the schools do? And you were in that situation yourself because you left BYU. What should the what can the schools do? I should say, as far as offering a better financial package, and maybe some other things that are included in that package, when a bigger money offer comes from someplace else, and you want to keep that individual person. You know, I think with each individual person, it, it is different in terms of what their experience has been. I, I'm just going to assume that for both of those coaches. They've had a really good experience at Utah State and at BYU. I think the ceiling at BYU is pretty significantly higher than it is at Utah State because of facilities. Uh, yeah, there, there is a, it's a more difficult maybe place to recruit to. And But I think with the transfer portal rules, with the relationships that Mark and his staff have, I don't think they're going to have a problem continuing to get good players and to take that program to another level. Um, but, but yes, and, and I, I think even maybe more than money or years and security. And, but these are both young coaches, and they're going to have opportunities. So I, I don't think that that's going to be a driving force, though I think it will be a force that is something you have to consider. And when you're looking at six and seven years and you're looking at significant amounts of money, that is, that's something that you, know, you, you can't just ignore that. It's not the reason you take a job. You you know immediately when you go on a campus and you meet an admitted. I mean, as important as that is, is getting to know the president, getting to know the athletic director. I, I will tell you just from a personal perspective that in my heart, going back home felt like the right thing. But I I can look back and have twenty twenty vision and know that some of the things that that I the relationships I had with my president, my athletic director were anything like I thought they were going to be. And, 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 and so it, was, it, it, it left a bad taste in my mouth in the sense that I felt like I didn't do the due diligence. Maybe I should have done more, but I had talked to so many people, and it felt, it felt right for me to go back home and to do that. But when I got there, I realized what I hadn't really done is really gotten to know the president. Uh, I didn't know the AD. Uh, I didn't know, you know, there was the probation that would be coming and, and hit the program, but more importantly, the people. And, and I can tell you that if you do make a change, you better know that, that there is an absolute trust 
between the people you're going to work with and work around. And that was the one thing that I think both at Utah, BYU, Utah State, are all programs that I think have great leadership. And that is important for for your family and for you and for the things you're going to want to do. And so as you sit down and talk to somebody about leaving one institution going to another, not only do you share with them, and that's what most people are you know, interested in, you share with them what your plan is and what your goals are and what your roles are going to be. But more importantly, you better be having a conversation about, okay, President, tell me what you're committed to. What, what do you think this should look like? What are your expectations of me? Rather than getting so caught up in the years and the money and the jet and all the other things that go with it, you, you need to do your due diligence. And so it's easy sometimes to say, well, I'm going to get make double the pay. Well, it doesn't matter if you're going to get double the pay if you don't have the support of administration or you don't have the support of the people close around you or they don't have maybe a, a, a academic program there that's in place that works to help kids be successful or whatever the things that are important to you. So, yeah, I would, you know, I, I learned that lesson, you know, and uh, it, it's one of those things that, was really difficult and really hard for me for a long time. It's, it's not that I felt like I made a mis- mistake about leaving, and, and, and certainly there was some money issues that were involved there, but more importantly, I was kind of going back home too. And I felt like this is an opportunity to do something pretty unique. You know, 2020 vision, looking back, you know what, you could say that was probably a big mistake. I mean, there are a lot of things in life, right? Not every decision I ever made uh, was perfect to write. I, I thought I thought through it, but the mistake that I made personally was I didn't take the time to really get to know the people there. I just trusted them and knew that this would go forward as it seemed, and it didn't. And I'm not blaming anybody on my lack of success or whatever it was, because there were a lot of really, really good things that happened there, and we did rebuild a lot of things and academically and getting out of probation, all those things, but it's not, it wasn't my goal when I went there. So I think people have to be really careful about what they're looking at and who they're going to go be with and work with. Uh, we, I had great people, you know, at, at BYU, good friends, still good friends, uh, that when they told you something, you could trust them. So I would say to, to Mark Pope down the road and to Coach Smith and anybody else that just make sure you know exactly what you're getting into. It's just it's really important for you your family, your own personal sanity. So uh, I, I think both those guys will have offers all the time. Uh, I, I can't speak for either one of them, but from the outside looking in, I think Mark seems really entrenched there. He's excited in the conversations I've had. He's, we've, had a, we've shared texts a bit during the season. Uh, he wants to build something there special. Uh, there may be a time and a day that he decides to go somewhere else. I don't know. And, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if Coach Smith stayed at Utah State. However, I think for him, where he has the Midwest highs and has some opportunities there, that may be a more natural fit for him than living in Logan, Utah. I don't know. But th- those are my thoughts on that. And I think that they're both really smart guys and really, really, really good coaches. It doesn't matter where they coach. They're going to be successful. Steve, we appreciate a little bit of time. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. Okay. There's Steve Cleveland. And just to add to that, PK, in my own life, anything I planned uh, screwed up and anything I fell into uh, worked out pretty well. So I don't know what lesson there is to draw from that, but that's how all those career decisions worked out for me.
Well, I thought that was very insightful with Steve talking about some regrets that he had about not doing some homework on some other issues that maybe he didn't understand and he would have done differently. Uh, I thought that that was very open and honest. Maybe he should have stayed at BYU. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show in one segment next. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. PK... We've talked a lot of football this morning, a lot of college basketball this morning. We heard from the Utes. We heard from Kyle Whittingham, Chad Bumpus, and Britton Covey. A lot about the receivers. If I don't hear the free phrase wide receiver room for a while, I'll be okay with that. I mean, they got my fill of that. And yet the wide receivers are a massive story. How good is this team going to be? Britton Covey feeling like it's going to be a big year. Kyle Whittingham talking about throwing 50-50 balls. Who are these guys, and what have they done with the Utes? Uh, he'll be throwing 50-50 balls probably seven, eight times a series. Are you kidding me? Go deep. They don't even need to huddle. Just go deep. I'm chucking it up to you solo. Get downfield and make the magic happen. Just drop back. Just throw it wildly up in the air. And he comes down with it. DeAndre Hopkins goes, wow, I'm impressed with that. Anybody would be impressed with that. You're referencing pod, arguably the play of the year in the NFL. I mean, I know it didn't lead to anything, but just as a play, it was awesome. <laughs> Definitely make you scream on the couch. Oh! Anything else you take away from that? Chad Bumpus is young and energetic, which is what Kyle Winningham likes in his recruiters. He likes recruiters who want to build a career and are just getting started and are willing to hit the trail and when that's of course allowed by the NCA as it was in the before yeah. times and hopefully will be again soon or at least has the energy to do 5,000 Zoom calls and come flying through every one of those and uh, FaceTime as many recruits as necessary that's what I need him to do the Norm Chow line has really stuck with me all these years I need these guys to recruit you know, I've got my coordinators and myself to do the coaching, and they do certainly do some uh, coaching. There's no question about it. But you need them to recruit. Herm Edwards has learned that it's all about recruiting, and you can be the smartest dude in X's and O's. He hired the two youngest guys. The two youngest guys in, in the Pac-12 now are in their 20s as recruiters. He's got three high school coaches on his staff, Uh one of them played in the NFL, and Antonio Pierce, another Claiborne. Uh, I think he might have played in the NFL too, SC linebacker. And he hired him as a, as a defensive coach. He's got this guy named Chris Hawkins, who's like 24 years old. Brian Johnson's story all over again. Can't rent guys, a car. Two guys in their 20s. You don't need to rent a car now because everything is Zoom, Zoom, as you say. Yeah. So, And he, right now, and this is for next year's class, obviously, 
uh, he's got the most guys committed. So they have this thing that that Pac-12 thing that I told you about, and they mm-hmm. list the guys. And he last week he got his second guy, four star, if you believe in all that, remains to be seen, out of Hannondale. So they got two guys. That's the school. Where Zach <laughs> they saw Moss. the youths. They saw the youths win. Like, well, we're going to that school. Yeah, <laughs> and they've got two DBs who are four-star guys, and you know you see it all, and I read it, and they go, "Wow, this guy, you know, he's like one of us. He's barely older than me." Blah 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 blah, and that's what it's about, and that's most especially what it's about when you have to recruit as opposed to evaluate. And that's another thing Norm said on her air that stuck with me. When he was at SC, it was about evaluation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily about recruiting. And there's few schools who can do that. They And certainly the, the ASU program is not one of those schools that could just, well, we'll just evaluate. Look at us. Oh, they got nothing to look at there. You have to recruit. You have to sell. And so if Bumpus being young, now he brought it up multiple times, his youth. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so interested in his youth as far as what he can teach Britton Covey and all that stuff. I'm interested in his youth and how he can connect with the recruits. I don't know what his recruiting area is going to be. I know Guy Holiday had some Texas in there. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. And Kyle has beat that in the drum, beat that drum too into the ground many times over. It's about recruiting. It's about the players. They're the ones who have to make the plays. And that's so crucial. And with him going young, and that's a significant difference because Guy Holiday was in his upper 50s. Not that that's you can't be successful doing that because I think you can. And this guy, 31 years old, I think Bumpus is. So what can he do recruiting? And what does that youth play? I don't need your youth to be buddying up to the kids that are already in the program. I need your youth to be able to buddy up to get kids into the program. Absolutely, because it starts. It doesn't matter from the uh, from elementary school to the pros. You pick the teams, and that is ninety percent of the game, as Kyle likes to say. And you got to pick the right players. You got to bring the right guys in. And they keep talking about they're opening more doors and getting more guys. And so now here's a younger guy and. Hey, how many doors can he open and how many more guys can they get to? Because if there's one place they haven't been recruiting NFL talent, it would be the wide receiver group. Notice they didn't say the wide receiver room. Tired of that. Got over that pretty quick. <laughs> About 17 references to that in the 8 o'clock hour today, if you missed it. Beat that one into the ground. All right, so that's a lot of the college football we talked. Uh, we did talk some college basketball. Uh, Cinderella is alive and well in this tournament from Loyola Chicago to Oral Roberts. And some of the big dogs are going down. Texas is out. Florida is out. Ohio State is out. How about Ohio? Retweet this if your favorite basketball team in Ohio is still in the tournament. Nice shot. I see what you did. Throwing a little shade there. Well done. Who did Ohio State lose to again? Uh, Oral Roberts? Yes, they did. Yes, they were two losing to a fifteen. Because I saw somebody, might have been Oral Roberts, had uh, on Twitter the Oral Roberts nah. University. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> I was uh, last month. I was down in Phoenix, and I went golfing on a Saturday. It was a gorgeous day, and they paired us up, my wife and I, with two guys who were hardcore Illinois fans. Now they were in their late thirties. And they were alumni, and one was living in Minnesota, and so in the other was someplace else. And they met for a golf weekend in the winter in Arizona, as people are prone to do. 
but they were hardcore Illinois fans to the point where Illinois was playing as we were golfing, and they had the game on the radio on their phones, and they were listening to it, and they were just going back and forth about it. I thought about them when I saw Illinois lose to Loyola of Chicago and Sister Golden Hair Jean. <laughs> Sister Golden Hair. So you were golfing with them while Illinois was beating snot out of Drexel? Because they would have been stressed in that Loyola Chicago game right away. Loyola Chicago. No, no, no. I was. This game. was last month. It, it was, oh, it was uh, during regular season. Yeah, I was okay. not in Arizona last oh, week. Okay. No, no. It was. It was. It was a conference game. It was the first week of February. Okay. First Got Saturday it. in February. Yeah. That, that that we were there. Well, Illinois, and there were plenty of BYU, uh, or not so much BYU, but more Utah State and Weber State fans, because uh, Illinois won't play Loyola Chicago. You know, and you would think Illinois downstate could come up and play in Chicago while all the students are away and recruit Chicago and have a presence for all the alumni, but they won't do it. They haven't done it in a decade, and now they got them in the tournament and they got beat. Plenty of uh, Aggie and Wildcat fans. Utah won't play us. It's a familiar story. It happens everywhere. It happens in California. I don't know if it happens in Arizona. You don't have as many schools there. Do they play Grand Canyon in NAU? The, those two probably don't scare them. Uh, yeah, Devils played Grand Canyon this year at Grand Canyon. Yeah, I, I think it's stupid. Get over yourself. <laughs> I mean, I think I think they should be playing. Um, it's a long-standing tradition. I don't think that uh, in California there's eight trillion schools and they have long-standing traditions. They don't. They do not have the tradition part of it. Everybody would like USC, UCLA, and Cal and Stanford to come to visit, and occasionally they offer you a one-off home game, and most of the time they blow you off. Yeah, there's just too many teams there. Yeah, Here, but my team's not. important. You can blow off Cal Poly, but don't blow off UC Santa Barbara, please. Yeah, tough loss by them right at the bucket, and he missed it. You know, that that bugged me, but even more than that, you got the lead, and you don't get an offensive rebound, and then you foul a guy who's dribbling away from the basket. Ah! That is another school that is, uh, and there are lots of schools doing this. You know, Mark Pope's not the only one mining the transfer market. You know, they their guard line is uh, DePaul and Oregon State, and they got uh, they got an Oregon kid, and they got several other smaller schools, Jacksonville, of course, and somewhere else. Everyone's doing it. I mean, yeah. Oregon State had an Oklahoma kid. Yep. Yesterday, you know, I, I felt bad for the Santa Barbara guys, but then I stepped back and thought, okay. You're getting your schooling paid for, and you're playing basketball in Santa Barbara, and you get to live in Santa Barbara during that time of your life. I don't feel that bad for you. <laughs> That's a win. <laughs> Only thing is, you should have gone there earlier. What were you doing at DePaul and Oregon State in the first place? Um, well, who knows if they were being recruited by that. See, that's the thing that the transfer portal opens up, because I don't know that – I'm not familiar with Santa Barbara and their recruiting, but I'm guessing they're not recruiting kids who are interested in DePaul most likely. Well, there's a certain amount, I think, when you're in the Big West and leagues like that, there's a certain amount of give up. Like, I don't have the resources, the time, the energy, yeah. the money to chase you. You're right. probably going to the Pac-12 or you're probably going to the Big East. You know, it's well, I, I assume yeah. the big sky. I assume Randy Ray sees players all the time and says, yeah, I'd like to have you, but I'm not going to recruit you now because I know you're going to run off to, you know, this Pac-12 school or this Big 12 school or whatever. And that's what the transfer portal opens up. You have direct contact, and then you can have an opportunity for a kid to take a look <laughs> at you that maybe he wouldn't have coming out of high school if it's just based on geography. How do you how do you phrase that with a kid when he's in high school? Listen, I get why you're looking at the Pac-12 and the Big 12, but it's probably not going to work. And just remember me when it doesn't, because you're really going to do well here. <laughs> 
Probably can't say it like that. Uh, the Utah Jazz, we've kind of given them a little bit of a pass this morning, but they are back in action against the Bulls, wrapping up a road trip. Will they finish 3-2? and two? Will they finish 2-3? and three? Rudy Gobert, after practice yesterday, talking about a renewed commitment to defense. They basically looked at themselves after the Wizards game and didn't really like what they saw, especially defensively. And not that it was great against Toronto, but it was better and it was good enough to win. Well, the 41 free throws to the 14, I don't see Jazz fans up in arms demanding some type of uh, justice in the league, nor did I see it in Boston when they shot 24 free throws to four free throws for Boston. The fact is, since the Philly game, and I'm writing about this and it'll be published tomorrow, so don't anybody rip me off, that uh, since uh Gobert and Mitchell went public with that criticism. They have shot as a team 147 free throws to 87 for the opponents. That's because they're attacking the hoop and playing the game the right way, PK. Yeah, and Nick Nurse threw his uh, mask. mask and cussed out the officials and got fined $50,000. I got to think that somewhere Jerry Sloan has his hands on his hip and is nodding up and down in approval. Jerry never no, had a mask to throw, but if he had... He might have thrown it. <laughs> all right, we got to take a break. When we come back, your feedback on the way. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Kalani Sataki, head coach of BYU. We have the four quarterbacks that are definitely you know up there in the running, and we're going to have to narrow this down a little bit because there's just not enough reps to go around. But right now, Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, Jacob Conover, and Sojay Mayava, those guys are the front runners, and they're having great days. And, you know, the whole part about spring and even getting into being a coach, you want to develop depth. When you get depth and you have four quarterbacks that are battling for starting time, that's a good position to be in. There's a lot of great players here they're in the mix and then that's the whole part of trying to develop your team into a program is that you want to get as deep as possible so it makes everyone have to raise their level of play and then you just play the best guys we're seeing some great competition right now and especially at the quarterback position Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network all right, time for your feedback, what you're saying on Twitter and on uh, social media this morning. And, PK, let's start with what KSTP Sports, KSTP is the ABC station in Minneapolis, tweeted out this morning. They tweeted out the Northern Iowa Hoops coach Ben Jacobson interviewed for the Gophers job over the weekend. We hear at least one other in-person interview has already occurred with at least one more on the horizon today. Utah State coach Craig Smith is expected to interview in person. Not clear whether he'd be the one more or whether that means there's a total of four people interviewing in person. But we've all heard Craig link to that job, and there's KTSP, KSTP Sports saying he'll be one of three or four people interviewed in person, at least that they can identify. Maybe there's more, but that's what they're reporting. They tweeted that out this morning. Okay. Other feedback coming in on uh, today's show. Uh, Jason says, normally I wouldn't say being in the first four is an advantage. But this year, with a game under their belts, a day off, and no travel to contend with, that was a more enviable path for a team like UCLA. Maybe, but I just thought, it goes back to what Steve Cleveland said, they imposed their will on the game. They got out there and defended, and they weren't letting BYU have a bunch of easy stuff, and BYU didn't get in a groove, and... Uh, UCLA took that game. You know what I think it was? What? I think it was they had BYU, Brigham Young on their jerseys. We have UCLA on our jerseys. We're a better program. We have no doubt we're in our mind we're going to win. Actually, we thought the tougher game was going to be Michigan State, which clearly it was. 
It was a mindset. You had a bunch of scared dudes running around, except for Barcelo. And, and Loner's a great rebounder. He's not much of an offensive player yet. He'll develop that as he goes. And you had these other guys there. They just were. They had swag. They believed they could win right, right. from the start. I think that's what it was. Right. You can go back and forth. They didn't have to travel. They played another game, blah, 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 whatever it might be. We're in the Pac-12, and we have we're, a story program, this. and we're playing a Mountain West, or a West Coast Conference team that isn't named Gonzaga. We should win. Jimmy says, as a Ute fan, I'd love to make fun of BYU and the lack of success in the tournament, but right now I just welcome Utah being one and done in the tournament every year. Uh, yeah, right now, but that would change quickly, but I get your point. Yes, right now is the key phrase right there. Uh-huh. All right, DJ PK, we are out of time. Coming up next, Scotty and Hands on 97.5 The Zone. On 1280 The Zone, we're splitting the signal. 1280 The Zone is going to have NCAA tournament games. Eight more games today. You'll hear them on 1280. You will hear regular shows on 97.5 and the Jazz Game on 97.5 with David Locke. Coming up tonight, the uh, coverage begins at 6 o'clock with Jazz Game game Night pregame show. Uh, Jazz and Bulls at 7, a little later than usual for a central time zone game. But with COVID testing, that's been happening sometimes. So there you go. DJ and PK, Scotty and Hands next. See ya.